is a political philosophy which has brought about the state of Israel, the so-called state of Israel. This, this political philosophy has nothing to do with religion. On the contrary, it seeks to confuse others and let them think that Zionism and Judaism is one and the same. I am a conscious African. I know properly my history. I know that Africa gave Judaism to the world. I know that the first Jews in the world were Africans. Not only do I know this, but I inform everyone who has doubts about it to read a book by Sigmund Freud entitled Moses and Monotheism as a beginning. Consequently, I know that Judaism and Zionism are not the same. Zionism had its first organizational expressions in 1897 in Baal, Switzerland, in Europe. Here was a man by the name of Theodor Herzl, H-E-R-Z-L. He was the founder of Zionism. He said that he was going to find the state that God promised the Jews. Listen to this very carefully. This man, Herzl, was an atheist. He believed that there was no God. He said God did not exist. Now, how is it that a man who believes that God does not exist is going to find a state that God promised to his chosen people? I'll tell you, this man is Satan in disguise. Zionism is a satanic movement. It is devil. It is imperialism. It is racist. It has gone and taken the lands of the Palestinian people and through terrorism has driven them out. And through terrorism, it maintains its power. And the United States of America, with over six million homeless, sends to Israel billions and billions and billions of dollars everywhere to bomb Palestinian people while homeless people are here and unemployed are here. Zionism is going to raise this war and make the people in America become clear to what it is and become anti-Zionist and stop the aid to Israel and use the money to take care of the homeless in this country. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. As I said earlier, as I tweeted before, it's going to be a monster of a show today. Probably won't even get to everything I have set up in the show today, but we'll see. I'm going to do my best. Just I felt necessary today to include a lot around a pretty broad topic. Now, we've already covered the idea of Zionism in a general sense. We've discussed the, as early in this conversation to post-October 7th, that is, discussed the true face of Zionism and even how they've already lost the information war. And I, I still stand by those statements in the first week of this. But I want to go a little bit deeper in the sense of a few points I just want to add to the conversation around Zionism in, in specific core at uh, core uh, as it specifically is tied to other ideologies but also just the the broad concept of propaganda and I want to go through quite a bit today a lot of different some rather obscure and opaque kind of broad arguments that are hard to nail down to one thing or the other but some that are just really specific and I, like the kind of thing we're seeing right now, just ver like blatant, undeniable lies, dishonesty, saying something is what it isn't, that something happened that did not, like really easy to see lies. And it's whether you just choose to acknowledge it or side with an agenda. And I want to go over that in the sense or under the umbrella of what Zionism is and why all of this is happening. And it's the same point that we continue to make around this. As the clip that I played there in the beginning, I'll, I'll play for you again as we go through the show. That this and that's an, this is an old clip talking about the understanding of the true origins of Zionism and its manipulation of Judaism and the Jewish people 
and you know, simply meaning in that people who practice Judaism, you know, the idea of the nationality only came into play when Zionism created, as Avi discusses them, as the territorial dimensions of Zionism. It's a really easy way to think about that. And, and we can, and you can see how old this conversation is, and his discussion about how that will bring, you know, essentially to to a point where we're at now, where Americans are going to become uncomfortably aware of what this is, and it's it's creating conflict. And I don't think, I mean, in a way, that's not because of our awareness. Our awareness was secondary to what happened. It, you know, for a lot of people, are only now waking up to this because of what's going on. So it's important to see all of this, and for you to have the the ammunition as it were the information and the tool belt to understand what these things are and not just regurgitate certain talking points that you think align with what your political ideology is supposed to be saying what your parents taught you what you saw on the news that day but rather your in-depth fun- fundamental understanding of the origins what they really wanted to accomplish what they did accomplish what they're continuing to say and how that's beginning to dissolve now there's a lot to get into that we're not even that I'm not going to rattle off to start we're going to talk about Twitter and so on to start again and how that overlaps censorship, which I really see all of this stuff kind of connecting together today, as I often try to do. But most everything we're going to get to today is in regard to this conversation. So I actually wanted to start with a shout out to uh, Kim Iverson and, and uh, the show that I recently did, or she invited me on on her podcast and her show. And we had a really great conversation. I really enjoy speaking with her because I really do... S- you know, and as I told you in the past, we I lived in Idaho for a while. We actually we I knew her there. We came to know each other in Idaho because she used to come there to see her family. And I, you know, I've always really enjoyed the conversations with her. Now, obviously, there's plenty of things we don't agree on. I think that goes for pretty much anybody in the world that's honest with themselves. But nonetheless, I do see that she seems to be doing her best to be objective and to research these topics. And as you, there were things I was critical on during COVID, as I were, it was a lot of people. And I would expect her to be critical of me if there was something that she didn't, you know, but in an, in an amicable way. And I really and appreciate that, which, by the way, you probably won't feel any of that in the interview. Pretty much everything we were discussing, we were agreeing on. And I really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope you'll check it out. Because, look, it's important, the idea of what we were discussing, smart dust, nanotechnology, as you well know, I'm very concerned about, and I very much think this is a conversation that is, I mean, even just in, in the in the way it's being discussed on the show, you'd think that this would be something that would be how we don't understand the breadth of this. I mean, like as the average person, and it, it's why it's so important for those of us doing this job to continue to break this stuff down as we were doing on this show, just to understand where this seems to be going and how few how I mean, just how little conversation there is around things that were breaking and fundamental to the growth of where we are now, like two decades ago. That's very concerning to me and how that's not being discussed. Anyway, we got into a lot of other stuff too, COVID-19, vaccinations, and uh, you know, all sorts of random discussion points. I really enjoyed it. Make sure you check it out. I thought it was a great conversation. And I hope I hope to be doing that again in the future. On sw- Twitter in general, which I want to start with, I just think this is, we've been doing this recently and it's getting more and more obvious day by day. The more this continues to grow like into this kind of, I I, th- I would argue the way I see it as the increasing pressure that this platform is feeling from Zionist organizations or just political lobbyist groups for Israel, which I see as the same thing, but I'm not going to say I argue that every single thing Israel connected that I don't agree with is necessarily tied directly to Zionism. But I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a good guess. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to be most of the cases we're talking about. That's why from somebody in my field, it's okay to have opinions and use those opinions to guide what you research as long as you're always considering that this 
confirmation bias. You're never going to remove your confirmation bias. This idea that, you know, Fox and CNN are unbiased in practice is nonsense. We all have our opinions and we all, they were forced to sort of lean into that as it got more embarrassingly obvious that they weren't even just leaning into it, that they were aggressively partisan. But we all have that. And my point in saying that is that it's important to to acknowledge those things, right? And, and to trust your gut, but don't fall into that and assume in that direction. My, this is an important reality because I think that this is continuing to happen in such an obvious way that it is shaking people free who were on the side that Elon was saving free speech or somehow Twitter was the one platform that was fighting for you. And, and God, did I hope that. That's what I always say, whether it's about Trump or anything else. An honest person would go, well, yeah, I really hope you're right. I'm not going to let my personal feelings about that or him or anything else guide what I would do. That would be childish, right? As much as I don't think the evidence supports it, I sure as hell hope you're right. I hope Trump is going to be the guy you say he is. I hope Elon's going to save free speech. Sadly, it's clearly not what's happening. So here is another example. Fergie Chambers shares this. Elon is suspended. Yet another Palestinian uh, pro-Palestinian platform. Pa Palestinian Action U.S. Suspended. Here's another one. This one, this one's actually pretty crazy. Now, people are posting things that they're saying, you know, he said this. And I, look, I'm not going to get into like litigating every comment he made on Twitter about whether you think it's a vi Just to be clear, I'm not arguing that there's, to make it as simple as possible, free speech is absolute, guys. And we know this. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not saying that free, that Twitter has no rules and regulations. I mean, you go on here and you threaten someone's life or you say, I mean, even right now, you say very specific hate speech in the in the realm of as they see it pertaining to Israel. Oh, you're gone. Of course, you could say hate speech towards Christians or whatever else. They don't care about that right now. It shows you that even within their broken paradigm that they're inconsistent. But my point is that they're pretending to be free speech promoters, right? That's free speech is a very simple concept. It's not free speech except these topics. It's absolute. In its inherent context, it's absolute. All speech is free if you believe in that. And that means hateful things. That means disgusting comments. That means, you know, and, and even really, if you want to go as far as you can, you know, borderline, like for instance, fire in a theater. Technically, if we're going to be real about free speech, you'd be allowed to yell that. And everybody in that theater would be responsible for their own actions. But I can have that conversation. And I can also argue that that's, you know, the point is that you can have a debate about whether that might be something that we, you know, you're not allowed to say, and there's a law around it and blah, blah, blah. But if we're going to be honest about free speech, it's absolute. And so in this case, we have uh, Kit Clarenberg, who was just censored, you know, very prominent account, gray zone and all this, just got censored on Twitter, Mint Press News. My point in bringing up the first part is that people down here are going, well, here's what he said. And here's basically some of the things were. Uh, you know, in response with somebody pro-Israel and he was responding and saying things that seemed to be, you know, if, honest opinion, they were a little bit tasteless, but ultimately I felt he was trying to kind of push back against the way they were doing that, arguing that, you know, maybe they came back better after they were kidnapped from from into Gaza, stuff like that, right? And which you could read and you're like, whoa, that seems a little bit insensitive. And you know, But we don't know the dynamic there. And I'm not trying to defend a statement that you might find to be insensitive other than the fact that he has every right to say it because it's free speech. And he wasn't even saying anything that was, you know, a violation of terms of service. It's like borderline insensitive. Anyway, my point is, and you can read them, the people posting them down here. Overall, free speech is absolute. And that's not what's happening on Twitter. So I guess we, we wish we could all just be honest about that. Tucker and everybody else is, oh, it's saving free speech and it's all free speech. That's not true. 
So either we all acknowledge that they're lying too, or that they don't understand free speech, or that they're saying this for obvious political and personal reasons. If they came out and said, I support limited speech, I would say, I disagree, but at least you're being honest. I can respect that. So this is frustrating to me. Now, Kit's doing amazing work, in my opinion. There's a lot of great work he's done just because you think he said something insensitive on Twitter. It's amazing to me the kind of things that people will jump on. And look, take, let's, take it to the, let's take it to the extreme. Let's say he went on and said, I hope your family dies in Gaza. Now, would that be for your, in your mind, would that be justification enough to censor him? That's happening literally every day right now from Zionist. Every 30 seconds, you can see examples of that on Twitter. Doesn't make it okay. If you think it should be censored, then apply it equally. But then also acknowledge that's not free speech. He's not actually threatening specific violence. He's not saying, either way, I can go as far as you'd like. I think it's obvious that this is not free speech. And on top of that, that they're not even actively trying to apply it equally. Now, and it's, the, the point overall is that people will try to make it into you supporting things that you would allow under the, the concept of real free speech, but that's not the case. I can actively, as a grown-up, say, I think that's disgusting. I think you're a terrible person, but I will fight for your right to be able to express those things on Twitter and anywhere else. That's just called being a grown-up and expressing nuance in an important way under free speech. But today I do, you know, this kind of comment, I guarantee somebody will say Ryan was supporting his comment. You know, that's how that will ultimately work. And I don't care. I'll always express my opinion. Honestly, as you guys know, I don't get cowed along by people that would try to misrepresent what we say. Here's another example. Another account that is supporting, you know, pro, pro Palestinian. Most of what we're talking about is pro-Palestinian support, which they then somehow in some weird contor con inversion of reality, some perverse manipulation making into what they say that's, you know, river to the sea. Oh my God, you're a racist who wants to murder every Jew in the world. I mean, how does it, how do you even get there? And we're going to get into a point about that today in regard to them saying it in the exact opposite, them being anyone that's supporting Israel and claiming if you say it as a pro-Palestinian, you're killing all the Jews, except when it says it reverse, it means nothing and it's completely loud. There's so much hypocrisy happening right now. But he's calling out X and saying, you know, hey, Elon, what's happening? Why are these people being censored? And uh, this says, Angry Man J has not violated any. And he, oh, here's another one. Oh, no, same same one, same uh, account. This is just a couple that I grabbed, by the way. Here's somebody you guys are very familiar with. And guess what? As far as I can tell, has literally nothing to do with Israel. John O'Looney, you know, the very prominent funeral director who's been exposing the dangerous blood clots and the vaccination. Yeah, he just got censored. He's gone. Suspend, not, not just like temporarily paused, but like literally censored, gone. The account is gone. Oh, well, well hold on. I was looking at this before we started. I guess he just got brought back. It's so frustrating how that keeps happening. So even look, here's a good example. I'm actually glad this happened because we've all seen this. This keeps happening where, you know, especially with somebody as prominent as him in the, in the conversation, I would say not necessarily huge, a lot of followers, but somebody who has a lot of support in the pro, you know, calling out the COVID vaccine conversation that you can get a lot of people enough sway that have Elon's, you know, tap Elon's shoulder and they'll just push it back on, which is ridiculous because either he broke a rule or he didn't, or you, you know, oops, we made a mistake. No, you censored him because of something he said and people who have pull pressured you to put him back. And okay, which happens. I likely think, I actually think that's partly what happened to me. But in any case, he did get censored. It was gone as far as I can tell all day today. And it was suspended. It wasn't paused. It was gone. And now he's back. My point in saying this is just shows you this arbitrary level of enforcement, you know, where, where they, you know, awful but lawful, they just get to decide when and how they want, wherever, at all times. Doesn't that seem a little bit ridiculous? It should. 
Here's another example of how this is being applied, which I think is obvious. This is not about free speech. This is completely subjective. This is uh, Bread and Circus pointing out, telling folks to support BDS is against, rather, supporting BDS or telling people to is currently a violation of Israel's, uh, excuse me, Twitter's, Freudian slip there, Twitter's uh, platform policies. Inciting others to, to discriminate in the form of denial of support to the economic enterprise of an individual or group. Come on. You're going to tell me that that. So right now you're literally putting down, of course, use the word inciting, which you're trying to make it sound violent. The point is trying to support, right? Rather trying to think of a different word, just, you know, supporting the idea personally or publicly on the platform that people should, you know, discriminate that the word, they use these words on purpose. Basically saying, if I'm supporting the idea that you should use your dollar to either vote or to to support or not support somebody who you either agree with or do not agree with, suddenly, if it's Israel, you're violating the terms of service. How much you want to bet if I said, hey, I'm calling for everybody to stop spending money on this group because that group has ties to ISIS. Do you think they would stop that? Of course not. But the same exact conversation, but said this group has ties to illegal settlements in Israel, censored. Because BDS is a terrorist group, except the reality is, or whatever they call it, terrorist entity or terrorist concept. It's just people who are utilizing the law, which they told you to when before they were using violent resistance, which, by the way, is also legally protected under the Fourth Geneva Convention, international law. The point is, right now, written in Twitter's policies, you're not allowed to act within your constitutional rights. I mean, do we need any more reasons to see how surreptitiously Twitter is almost worse than it was before? I'm first one to tell you it's not it's not the same as before. And there's parts of it, like I'm on it, that are seemingly better than before. But I'm telling you, everything in my gut is screaming that this is worse than it was before for very, very surreptitious reasons that aren't immediately readily available and on the surface of it all. And I know we all feel it. That's things like this that are happening. Now, somebody else calls this out. You know, what is this? And here's what they're doing. Oh, this one was a little bit different. This one was the BDS. Here's another policy where they're now apparently adding not just like censoring or suppressing, all that's happening too, but labeling you with a special little thing that says, and as it says here, why does my account have a label? We have found that your account may contain spam or be engaged in other types of platform manipulation. Okay, well, am I violating terms of service in the case, like am I spreading misinformation? No, okay, because that's it's in there. It's not the case. You're not violating any other rule. But so within, this is one of those things where they do where they're like, okay, we found a little gray area where they're doing things we don't like, but it's technically not breaking any of the rules. So let's kind of extend this out to this opaque, broad area of can, it may contain spam or other types of platform manipulation, which means, I don't know, all the bots and Israelis, all the stuff that we see which they proudly discuss. They're rooms full of you know, Zionist bots that are out there. Which have, the U.S. does it too. All the governments do it. But if you, let's say, are framed as that, like let's say you have a group of people that are all promoting a certain platform and all of a sudden they frame it as you're coordinating to push a certain agenda. Isn't that what everybody does? You know, like in a sense where everyone's trying to, you know, it's, it's so frustrating. That my point in saying that is that this is, there's cases of this that are aggressive platform manipulation, which nobody seems to care about. But they will frame you for this should they want to. And then they put a flag on your account, which makes it a great, like it basically disappears. Maybe limited content is temporarily restricted. You can't see, you can't share, you can't reply. Yeah, that's how that works. So as the person is pointing out, what is this? And somebody points out, that, which you guys are aware of, free, uh, free Assange here. 
which by the way, we will have some more work coming up on that. I know there's more building in that case, like as of today, yesterday, and more going on. Uh, uh, Taylor is going to be doing some great work coming up this weekend, or I think tomorrow even. And uh, I plan on e either putting up some content about what she's doing in regard to Assange, or because she's going to be hosting a panel, or maybe even taking part in something. We'll, we'll see. But I trust me, I, I plan on covering this because it's important, as I've said all this time, whether or not you believe Assange is genuine. I say that because it, it's ultimately about the, the consequences of the way they handle this case, right? I think that's important because there's a lot of people that still are you know, question things, be skeptical. Whether or not, though, the outcome will still be able to be used against you, and I think that's important. But Free Assange here points out, their account, interestingly timed, by the way, has now got one. We've added a temporary label to your account. Isn't that strange? Like, is it violating a rule or not? What's with all this weird social engineering, you know, meant to drive you in the direction of how they want you to act? That's what all this is. If it violates a rule, then say something or delete it, right? We will delete this if you, you know, blah, 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 whatever. The idea that you're supposed to kind of like subtly walk away and you, you know, this is about training you to be a certain way and act a certain way and think a certain way. It's everywhere. And it's alarming. Now, weirdly enough, on top of that, you'll notice uh, Bread and Circus shared this with me just yesterday. Jason Bassler shared this tweet, you know, if Trump was still president, would his response to October 7th and the aid to Israel be better or worse? I simply said it would be the exact same. But the narrative around it would be different, of course, so that many of those opposing it under Biden would instead blindly support it under Trump, regardless of the exact same level of support, if not more, since Trump is wildly pro-Zionist. Fully believe that. But he points out, look at that. You don't have a check or a blue thing next to your name, which I don't. Isn't that strange? Which, I've, the, from the very beginning, it's clear that I've had some weird, like, anomaly situation with all this, where, like, I'm, like, this weird limbo where I'm, like, kind of censored but not, or, like, where, I, you know, it's been this whole way the whole time since they brought me back, where I was supposed to be getting things that I, you know, it's, it's crazy, and I've shown you this the whole time. Right now, even, it's different on my phone versus on the platform. Like, some things I'm supposed to get there, I don't get here, and other, like, it's just, I don't even want to get into it. It's very strange, and I, I, Quite frankly, don't even care if it's unique to me or I. this whole platform is all over the place in so many alarming ways. But you can see on my phone, as of right now, I still have it, which is kind of the point I was making. Just it's, And this is as of today, right before I went live. I just don't know what that means. And at the very least, let's just take it from a, 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 a function of the, of the platform. Shouldn't I be like, hey... You're you're not meeting my obligation that you promised. You know, we we made an agreement and you're not meeting that obligation. They don't care. No one's going to respond to me. Like, it's just so unaccountable across the board. But I get the feeling that this is continuing to increase. And you guys know as well as I that I'm not on the good graces of all of these narrative controllers. So we'll have to wait and see what ultimately happens. But the point overall is I know in my gut and you know we can prove that this is happening in a very slanted way that this is this is largely because of some kind of desperate effort to keep these certain narratives under wraps as well as the larger point i argue about as i said socially engineering the way we act and all of this in my opinion does right now in a large way tie back to the largest conversation that i think we should be having and that's not necessarily because i do think this is probably the most important thing happening in the world right now but whether or not you think that we have to acknowledge that this genocide is unprecedented in multiple ways. And even the way that the world has responded to it is unprecedented and is going to change the future of the way we engage with international law, the way that the world, the dynamic works amongst other countries, the UN, all this stuff is going to change and already has begun to because of the belligerent and mindless murder of what Israel's been doing in Gaza. 
We all can see that. I just think that's important to consider how much that's going to change. That's why I think this conversation is so important. But here's something Caitlin Johnstone said, and I fully agree with this and even uh, like agree, agree with the trepidation behind it. Like where, you know, we shouldn't, I don't, I argue as always that there should never really be an absolute. There should never be a, you know, only this or that kind of a situation. But I, whether that's, whether we should not feel that way or not, bad way to say that. Even if it's acknowledged, which I am, that we shouldn't do this, I'm just admitting that I also feel this way. So sort of admitting a lack of objectivity for me in this case. But let's be clear about this. Hear what this says, because I think this is sort of like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is as obvious as it could ever be. And there is this is one of the most clear examples in history of actual right and wrong. You guys can decide for yourself. But here's what she says. I've unfollowed people for getting Gaza wrong. People I've previously followed for years. I disagree with literally everyone I follow on some issues at some times, which we all really should, if we're being honest. But Gaza quickly became my red line. If you can't get that one right, nothing else you have to say is worth a damn. I've never done that before. Made a single issue red line like that. In anti-imperialist circles, you normally have to accept that a lot of people who get one issue right will get another is- other issues wrong. Someone who's right on Israel-Palestine might swallow propaganda about Russia. Someone who's good on Ukraine and Syria might swallow the propaganda on China, etc. We've all dealt with this. Which again, the main small point within all that is to make sure you remember that that doesn't mean that they're necessarily dishonest. We all get played sometimes without realizing it because of you, where you grew up or what your parents think or what the show said that night or your party. We all see that, right? So her point is that you know, we've always seen discrepancies in our opinions. She said, I also frequently have ideological differences with people I agree with on foreign policy. In her case, she says, like U.S. libertarians. But Gaza, and I agree, is just so obvious. Such a clear-cut, black-and-white case of right and wrong that I have to assume there's something seriously wrong with your internal navigation system if you can't see it or choose not to, if the teens on TikTok can see it but a professional foreign policy commentator cannot, then there's something wrong with that professional foreign policy commentator. I agree, 100%. He says, and after four months, I have no regrets, she says. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. I try to cultivate diverse and heterodox information sources, but not so diverse and heterodox that it thinks genocide and ethnic cleansing are fine. Keep an open mind but not so open your brain falls out, as they say. The point being that, you know, there's a, there's always a line, right? It's sort of like with the free speech conversation. I mean, you can accept that people have these incredibly disgusting and racist opinions, as you might see it, but it doesn't mean you have to endorse them. It doesn't mean you have to take them into yourself. You can acknowledge they're allowed to be spoken within free speech. In this case, the point is that, you know, you can, you can draw these lines about like accept, accepting, well, there's cultural differences and so on, right? But there is always a line. Right, so are you culturally culturally allowed to just slip the throats of children? Well, clearly we'd be like, well, no, there's a line there. And the point I think is we're at here is that we're watching, and this is the thing I was saying before. It's all come down to narrative, right? So it's you're literally watching hundreds of children every day be killed. And I'm going to go over some points in a second that will shock you. How many pregnant? How many babies are being born every moment in Gaza right now? Every ten minutes, apparently. And realizing that what they're doing, regardless of what narrative you throw over it, is just wrong. There's just no way around it. 
You can't keep saying that it's because of these bad guys and what happened on this day and continue to do all the things that we've never accepted anywhere else. My point is that you can't just, if there's a child being killed right in front of you, what narrative around it would suddenly make that okay? Oh, well, the, the parents were bad people or that child stole from me. Okay, well, it won't work. There's, it's, a, it's a line too far. You can't just murder them in front of everybody because that's what's actually happening. And so I think people are finally seeing this. And that's not even about the Zionism part. This is just the reality of this moment-to-moment atrocity that we're all watching. And it makes you sick because we're realizing truly how, in, how ineffectual we can be when the governments don't care what you think. This is why people like us have been screaming. They don't listen to you. You love to pretend like you're checking that box is somehow influencing their actions. It's not. And this is one of the most real-time examples we've ever gotten, whether it's Americans or in the UK or anywhere. We stand up and we go, you're wrong. And they go, we don't care. Or some other variation of response that it demonstrates that they don't, that we can't influence what they're doing, at least not when it matters. That's not how this is supposed to work. So I agree that you really should not draw these binary lines like left or right, right? Or ultimately good guy, bad guy. But I gotta admit, I feel the same way that this is the most obvious thing I've ever seen. Now, Sir Chili Bean points out, in regard to the ICJ, that there, there's a kind of, I, I read this wrong when I first saw this. I was really disappointed. And I am a little bit still, but basically the, the International Court of Justice, the World Court, also called it, also called the World Court, spoke up, and he posted this on the 16th, I believe. And basically in response to people that were pleading with them to do more, right? Take action beyond the provisional me- me- measures that you requested, or demanded, really, but it's, there's no mechanism behind it, ultimately, other than the UN, and that's the point. But that's what they essentially argued is let's realize the International Court of Justice does not have any real mechanism by which to enforce these things. That's what the U.N. is supposed to do. So for them to just add more measures wouldn't really do anything if no one's going to enforce them. So they spoke up and said, look, and this is after the bombing of Rafa and with the impending, which is still ongoing invasion of Rafa. They say this does not demand the indication of additional provisional measures. Which basically the point is they've already they argued that they've already co- covered this, that we put these measures out. To do more wouldn't change the fact that the, we've already a- acknowledged that they're doing something wrong and this is what they need to do to correct it. The point would be that the UN is supposed to be stepping up. So we've already acknowledged there's crimes being committed and they're investigating the further act of genocide, like the legal definition. But so now it's on the UN and that's their point is where is everybody else? And it's what he says. Why hasn't it, why haven't any other countries taken serious actions against Israel after they in, in, the, in, the ICJ indicted them for genocide? Because listen, whether you think it's even if you think it's still being defined or you know investigated, the point is the provisional measures were supposed to be they these were standing orders. If this was any other country that was adversarial to the United States, they would have borderline invaded the country already, if not already taken it over and stolen their oil and wheat. Right? That's how we can see this in the past, and that's with that, that's with just allegations that you can't even prove. See, if yet if it's Israel. Nobody does anything. Now, the reason I explain that is because I I have a a real problem with arguing the UN should be able to take violent military action, whether it's the UN art, you know, passing resolution, which then NATO acts on or what, you know, whatever you look at it as that can be abused. And I don't like the idea of foreign countries arguing that they can, you know, collectively decide X, Y, and Z. It's sort of like the WHO treaty concept, right? But from a medical perspective, now, all that being said, just because I'm apprehensive about how that can be misused. And I'm not calling for necessarily like violent action. I just argue that it's 
based on the Geneva Conventions, or rather specifically their agreement around genocide, the Genocide Convention, they're obligated to do something, to stand up. To, here's my point. It doesn't have to be violent action. How about the U.S. just stops giving them weapons? That would be an action, and that would affect the outcome. None of them are doing anything, not violent action, not protesting, not sanctions, not pausing their weapon sales. Even as they call for ceasefire, they continue selling them weapons they're using to kill children. It's disgusting, and it shows you they don't really mean it. So I'm glad they spoke up so we can you know, acknowledge the reality. They're going, look, we did our part. It's on the UN and everyone pretending to fight for a rules-based international order. Arnaud Betran writes that Lula has been... The point in this is that a lot of these foreign governments that you would otherwise argue are typically would be, at least to some degree, on the side of the global agenda... He spoke up and said, what's happening in Gaza isn't a war. It's a genocide. It's not a war of soldiers against soldiers. It's a war between highly trained army and women and children. What's happening in Gaza and with the Palestinian people already happened in the past when Hitler decided to kill the Jews. Well, this, it's, these are you know, whatever your opinions about what he's saying. The point is people in positions of power who moments ago were at least not saying anything or otherwise on their side are coming out hot against this. And I think it's, again, an indication. It certainly could be that they have a conscience or they see through it for the first time. Maybe that's the case. But it's also possible that they just recognize that we all see it. And a good politician, if not, if anything else, recognizes that people can influence the outcome more and, and ultimately decide his power, especially at a middle-rung position. So people, not necessarily that has to be his position, but the Congress, people like that stepping up and going, oh, you need to call for this and you need to stop killing. I think a lot of that is just advantageous actions, realizing that they that Israel's losing control and that if they step up and become the hero of the of the people, we suddenly think of them as the somebody who is honest. And that translates into future power for them, right? Whether they are or not. We always got to think about that, how it can be applied. But there's a lot of examples. I own Barala. And there's, the, you know, you can see the, uh, the little gray check mark or whatever that's the gut for the government the arm and uh, and i believe this was uh first uh, which one was this let me double check i think it was spain yeah spanish politician she says oh and by the way here's an interesting point who served as minister of social rights and 2030 agenda <laughs> right so what's interesting is you'll find that these people A lot of them are standing up and pushing back against Israel, but while are in line with almost every other thing that we think is a problem. So again, I just think that's indicative of the fact that they realize Israel has lost the plot on this, and they're trying to pull us back into feeling that they're on the side of good. When they're, I don't think that's the case, but you can decide for yourself. Now, Alon Mizrahi points out something important. He says, try to wrap this, try to wrap your mind around this. And this speaks to the idea of the U.S. pretending they want ceasefire and not doing that. He says, Algeria is preparing a ceasefire proposal for the UN Security Council, right? We saw, we saw a lot of these countries that have been speaking up, you know, if it's, if it's not the, a few of the select top, you know, five prominent countries, most of the corporate media ignores anything they do, especially if it's against the global agenda. But Algeria is another country that's speaking up for ceasefire. The U.S. has already said it's going to veto it. I mean, how do you possibly make sense of that? If you're calling for ceasefire... And still sending weapons, you don't want ceasefire. But if you're calling for ceasefire, and then somebody else calls for ceasefire, and you veto that, it's like, I, why does anybody take them seriously? I mean, we need to realize one of two things here. The U.S. government, or at least those that are controlling it, 
And I don't even mean that from a Zionist sense. I mean, whoever's you know, able to dictate what the, what the outcome truly is, they're either, oh, out, out, oh, either outsized influence from Zionist entities or Israeli influence to, get, to make them ultimately, I mean, in every possible way, not only exposed to the world that they're completely feckless, they have no influence at the outcome or don't have any power whatsoever, that they're, or they're just blatantly lying about what they actually want to achieve, or it's simply just showing that they're dishonest to the point where nobody should trust what they have to say. Anyway, I, there was no, I, I, I think I said all of them right there. I was going to say, or this. But either way, my point would be simply that that's blatant, right? I mean, it's insultingly so. I think that shows you that they're desperate, guys. I've been, I've been saying that a lot, but I just don't know how else to read this. Why do you think they would be so bad as to, for, to, for them to stand up and say, we want a ceasefire, but then veto somebody else calling for a ceasefire? They must know that people will see that and go, that's ridiculous. So you clearly don't want a ceasefire. What else would you call that? I, that seems like a desperate choice to try to do your best to convince people who don't, might not see this to think that you're fighting for good while you're literally the chief supporter of a genocide. He says four months of nonstop televised slaughter and the U.S. will veto a ceasefire again, which, by the way, again, it's like the third, fourth time. Four months of this and the U.S. will veto a ceasefire. Four whole months of what we've all been seeing, hearing and scarred and wounded us for the rest of our days and the U.S. will veto a ceasefire. He says, pardon my, na my naivety, but I never fully grasped such evil even existed. I don't think a lot of people did. This is organized evil on a scale we've only read about in books. If a new global consciousness doesn't arise from this, one of equality and freedom, I'm not sure we deserve to survive as a species. Now realize as well, I already believe this is already be, this agenda is already being organized because I think they know well that Israel lost the plot on this. They know that they're trying to recover from what Israel is forcing in because of its own extremist ideology. The Zionists is what we're talking about. But the point being, this is already happening in the sense of them trying to co-opt that for us already starting to go look. And that's my point about these politicians drifting in to go, well, they should do this and ceasefire and we fight for freedom because they're aware we see through it. And so before we can even get past this agenda, I believe people are already trying to come in and co-opt that momentum so that we don't form a global consciousness that leads to equality and freedom, that they'll pose one like that. Here's a great reset called something else. And we get caught in another new agenda. And this is why people like me screaming about two-party illusions and not being nonpartisan are constantly trying to highlight those things because we all have these moments like with COVID or right now where we can seemingly all see through it. And, and you know, whether left, right, or seeing the illusion, but then new things come around or come around like, like a Russiagate QAnon kind of a thing. And we, people who are already more kind of comfortable with the two-party paradigm fall into these things. So just, I'm just constantly harping on that for that very reason. But the UN, the UN is likely to vote Tuesday on a ceasefire, and the U.S. will signal a veto. Now, th remember this, as we'll get into a conversation in a moment, more about the hostage exchange, how you want to pretend that we want our hostages back while they keep vetoing the thing that will bring their hostages back. It's as simple as that. Now, while they're going to be doing that, right, while they're going to veto the thing that will stop the murder, this was from uh, the day before yesterday, but this is a daily concept. One day. Israel committed 10 massacres in the past 24 hours. This is from the 16th to the 17th, killing a hundred, or rather 15 to the 16th, I believe, killing 112 civilians, wounding 157 others. That's every day, guys, every day. The average is something like 120 children every day getting killed, every day. 
Many casualties remain in the streets and under the rubble as Israeli forces continue to prevent rescue teams from reaching them. Now, this is going to be unnerving, guys. I've, I've talked about some of this already, but I want to be very clear. This is coming directly from the United Nations. On, this is the human rights side of, the, of this is from UNICEF and their, uh, what is it, the, um, it's, it, I forget the, what it exactly stands. It's about human rights. The point is, this is the UN body speaking up, not UNRWA, the UN speaking up about what's going on there. And this was posted uh, the like towards the end of January, the end of last month, so maybe about a month ago. Understand, it is exponentially worse right now than it was then, a month ago. But this is a month ago from the UN. Quote, becoming a mother should be a time of celebration. But in Gaza, it's another child delivered into hell. Now realize, these kind of statements are what you get responses to by the Eli Levies of the world. Elon Levies. That, how dare you talk about these children suffering? Yeah, I never heard you mention the kids that are suffering from October 7th. Like, you, you increasingly becomes insulting, almost, that that keeps happening. Because look, these people have spoken up endlessly about October 7th and the things that happened there. But as this continues to build, and all they keep doing is trying to redirect your outrage from the most obvious genocide we've ever experienced in our lifetimes to over here, I don't know how people don't uh, get angry about that. But my point is, this matters and does exist in the same discussion. Humanity cannot allow its warped version of normal to persist any longer. Mothers and newborns need a humanitarian ceasefire. In the 105 days of this escalation in the Gaza Strip, nearly 20,000 babies have been born. 20,000. So realize that that means that of that 20,000, most of them are dead. And the ones that are still alive are aggressively suffering. Because this is not conducive to anybody living, let alone a newborn baby. He says, she says, that's a baby born into this horrendous war about every 10 minutes. So add that to the numbers we're discussing. 120 children or more, depending on what we're talking about and which stat. Because a lot of these are, what you know, point is there's a lot of children in rubble that we can't verify. Average, 100 plus children every day. Every day. Every 10 minutes, a baby being born into an area where other children are starving to death right next to them. Miss Ingram, this is Miss Ingram speaking from Amman in Jordan after returning from Gaza. UNICEF's communications specialist quoted her conversation with a nurse who has reportedly performed emergency cesareans on six dead women in the last eight weeks, meaning they find a dead pregnant woman and try to save the baby. This is what's happening while they defend themselves. Make sense of that for me. She tells me there are also more miscarriages now because of the unhealthy air and smoke due to the bombing. And this has happened more times than I can count, she says. The situation of pregnant women and newborns in Gaza Strip is beyond belief. And I demand, and it demands intensified and immediate actions, which Israel and the United States are actively ignoring, despite seemingly everybody in the world, and even stupidly enough, the U.S. government, saying it needs to stop while continuing to do what it can to keep it going behind the scenes and arming them, the U.S. government, that is, because they're feckless, complete hypocrites. Ten child, ten newborn babies every, or excuse me, a newborn baby every ten minutes. Cesareans of dead pregnant women on the streets. People dying of starvation and dying of thirst and all sorts of other things 
not even to do with the bombings and assassinations and shootings and whatever else they're doing. It says, as of 18th of January, the Ministry of Health in Gaza stated that over 8,000 cases of viral hepatitis A they have seen, resulting from overcrowding in shelters, exactly what they forced them into. That's by, that, this is an act, act by design. The number of hepatitis cases is expected to double in overcrowded shelters. It says nearly 25,000 people reported killed. According to the Gaza Ministry of Health, 70% of the women and children. That's this, And they, remember, the Gaza Ministry of Health, despite the game they play to act like when they want to, it's not valid, has already been acknowledged by Israel and their intelligence apparatus that they're using Gaza's Ministry of Health information in their intelligence reports for the military. That was reported by the Times of Israel. And they, in that article, discussed how every single time one of these things happen, they look back and their numbers are almost exactly the same as Israel's. That's why they're using them. So the game they play to try to downplay those numbers when it means something is just, again, one of the examples we're going to get into about how aggressively dishonest they are with everything that's happening. Now, uh, Sungay said that he, quote, managed to meet a number of released detainees. This is one of the people speaking on the record, one of the journalists there. These men who were detained by the Israeli security forces in unknown locations for between 30 to 55 days. We're going to touch on this. They describe being beaten. We're kind of opening today with some important parts that we'll come back to in the larger part of the show, just for those that kind of only survey the first half hour. I want you guys to not miss this, even though we're already past that, I think. Yeah, 45. But it says, so 30 to 55 days for, for nothing, not charged with a crime, just held for that long for no reason. They describe being beaten, humiliated. There's, this is the UN expressing this, by the way. This is a person from, oh, there's right there, the, uh, the UN Human Rights Office. So what, oh, the, the OH here, UN. I forget the, what the full acronym stands for. Occupied, I don't know. Either way, that's the OHCRH. That's the that UN Human Rights Office. The point is, he's telling you that they spoke to these people, and they're there. And this has been discussed and proven by every human rights group you could possibly imagine. I've shown you these documents going back twenty years that they beat, humiliate, rape, torture. Right? I mean, what's funny is we say these things, and the hard thing is that people who don't want to hear it will always dismiss it anyway. And then if I show it. Oh, man, hold on. Of course, that's the one that doesn't just pop up for me now. There it is. Oops. The point is that if you don't, if you, and even when you do show it, they just go, oh, well, Amnesty's a, as a anti-Semitic platform. You know, it's, just, it's kind of meaningless. That they end up in a situation where people will just believe it because I'm saying it, which I don't want either. I want you guys to be able to prove it, but then people that don't want to hear it are going to ignore no matter what you show. And the point is from November 8th and well before that, just look up the UN's conversation on this going back decades. Horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of Palestinian detainees since this started. And since, this is November 8, 2023. Subjected to ill treatment and what may amount to torture. He added that they, and, and realize I just did a focus on this in regard to rape, which is a, a whole segment on that, which it's the UN did an entire discuss, uh, multiple documents on this, but not too long ago, put an entire document about children being raped in, deta in detention by Israeli security guards, by, by IDF. It's, it's just, it's all so documented, it's overwhelming. Which doesn't mean every single person is doing that, but of course we have to acknowledge this in the bigger conversation. 
But he said he added that they reported being blindfolded, and this is one important, for long periods, some of them for several consecutive days. Now, I'm going to show you one of these examples in a minute of a guy who's blindfolded, and the blindfold is very tightly wrapped around his eyes but in and his nose, which looks wildly uncomfortable. Now, imagine being like that on your knees, but they won't let you lay down sitting there for days on end. I mean, that is torture. That's Guantanamo Bay kind of stuff. What the, the very mild part of it, but that is part of the kind of mental long-term kind of, that's what they do. And let's not forget, Israel was involved in that. Now it says one man said he had access to showers only once during his entire 55-day detention. This is the kind of stuff that they do. This is not by accident. These are deliberate. Don't forget, Ben Gavir went to these new buildings to make sure that they were, the prisons were going to make, that they would be, I think the word he used was make sure they weren't improved so people would not worth not suffer is not what he used, but the point being he wanted these prison cells to be to make to hurt people. He did not want them to be there and be comfortable. Now you realize that you know, just because your opinion about somebody, the idea being is that these people have human rights, especially when you realize that almost every one of the people they're doing this to are not what they say they are. But it says there are reports of men who were subsequently subsequently released, but only in diapers without any adequate clothing, in cold, freezing weather. Mr. Sungai recalled that, quote, Israel must take urgent steps to ensure that all those arrested or detained, I hate these statements because, what do you think, this is by accident they keep doing this? That those arrested or detained are treated in line with international human rights and international humanitarian law, meaning that that's not what they're doing, guys. Notably, with full respect for the due process rights, none of that's happening. Unless Israel can demonstrate imperative security grounds for each person remaining in detention, they must be charged or released. They're not doing that. They've never done that. Nobody cares. So these are statements that are meaningless when there's no actual mechanism to enforce it. As of, And they don't care. They, they support what Israel's doing. As of 18th of January, telecommunication services in Gaza have remained shut for the sixth consecutive day, adding to confusion and fear, which all of these add to torture, war crimes, everything they're doing. It is a because all collective punishment to innocent people they pretend that they're trying to rescue. It's a pressure cooker environment here in the midst of utter chaos, given the terrible humanitarian situation, shortages, pervasive, pervasive fear, and anger. Disgusting. All the children being born, cesareans in the street. Now, here's Mohammed Safa. Israel has dropped almost 65,000 tons of explosives. Have fun comparing that to just about any other war. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. And this is a tiny area with it, with in only five months of time. He, he writes, this means that Israel has dropped 28 kilograms of explosives on Gaza for every man, woman, and child. 28 kilograms for every individual in Gaza of bombs, of explosives. This, there's no, this, once we get past this and look back, Guys, this is going to be world-changing. It already is. But we need to realize how, I mean, this is overwhelming. Then The information just cannot be, I was going to say narrative-itted away. <laughs> you can't use narrative to just hide this. No matter what you say about this, the, no, these numbers you can't ignore. You can't just go, but Hamas and human shields, 65,000 tons in this tiny area with five-month time frame, this is genocide. They've lost. Now, here's the crazy part is that the U.S. government, despite pushing for ceasefire in gigantic quotes, is going to send weapons to Israel. We already saw what they're doing. They're going to veto the call. They're uh, Right now, the U.S. government, more than anybody in the world, is showing themselves to be, I would even argue, worse than Israel. What they're doing is allowing the genocide when they have the ability to stop it. 
Israel is at least clumsily transparent on what they want to accomplish, which is disgusting, horrible genocide. They should all go to prison. But the United States government is standing back, twirling its thumbs, acting like they're not responsible while allowing this to happen. In fact, I would argue there, I mean, they're, without the weapons they're supplying, this wouldn't happen. It's disgusting. That's why people are calling them out. Now, in an interesting development, like after all of this, right? So the world is calling for ceasefire all the way around. The world court has acknowledged they need a ceasefire, called this genocide, right? Everybody, even the allies are not coming around to say we need ceasefire. Canada, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, everybody. And even, even the U.S. is pretending they want a ceasefire, right? So right now, the whole point about the ICJ is they're going, look, we did our job. So the world actors are supposed to be doing something about it per the Geneva Convention, right? Which would mean Russia, the United States, all these different countries would do something, right? So it's interesting to me that the only country who's actually, now I'm not saying it has to be honest, maybe there's another nefarious reason, you guys can decide for yourselves, but that Russia has invited these groups to speak with them, which by the way, wouldn't that be arguably one part of what you might do to do something about what's happening? So my point in saying this is what's interesting is how this happens to usually work with Russia They'll do the thing that if it was done by anybody else would just be benign. But when Russia does it, oh, that's going to be terrorism, right? This is going to be reframed as Russia aligning itself with the terrorist groups, just like Nancy Pelosi said. It's Putin's game plan, right? Or whatever, because they're just children. But what it is to me is Russia, one of two things. Well, I mean, look, it doesn't even matter that ultimately it's going to amount to a few things that they're stepping in to support the suppressed, the occupied right? The people that need world support. Now, again, whether you think that's because he's a good person or because he sees an ad, an, an advantageous, that he sees a benefit in doing it, it's kind of doesn't matter. It's the right thing to do. But that might not be what he's doing it for. But my point being is that nobody else is doing anything. So he, as he steps in to do it, he's going to be framed as the terrorist for simply speaking with these groups that are actively being murdered in front of us. I just find that to be such an interesting inversion of how things happen. And so he's going to go, he's invited them. It, and these are the, the groups. So Fatah, Hamas, I would argue probably Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the other groups, invited them to Moscow for a discussion about this. Now it says, it says a dozen, around a dozen different Palestinian groups for an inter-Palestinian talk on February 29th. So just wait, I can't wait to see the, the fear-mongering. They like pearl clutching, screaming about how this is going to be. Oh my God, it's going to, Israel, the rest of them are going to push this, you know, an overlap with Iran. Uh, though they're going to be, they're going to overtake the world and whatever nonsense they're going to push forward. When this is what everybody should be doing. Because you realize that they're only pointing at Hamas. What about all the other Palestinian groups that are actively fighting on behalf of Palestine? Shouldn't we be discussing what this future would be if that's what you pretend you're trying to do? No, I mean, this is why nobody takes that face value what they're doing right now, despite the fact that Israel, in addition to the fact that Israel continues to scream, and I'll show you that they won't ever allow a two-state solution. Oh, wait, I think it does say it right here. They include Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, alongside representatives of Fatah and the PLO, even, which is interesting. I think I think it's an obvious, you know, and it, well, it doesn't even matter. The point is that this is what everybody should be doing. But of course... Right. Same with Tucker speaks to Putin. He's a terrorist. Right. They go over and talk to the Palestinian groups and they're terrorists. But I think this is what's happening right now. And well, I should add one more thing, actually, that, you know, we should consider whether this is all part of some larger manipulation. I don't trust Putin or any government official, quite frankly. I don't know why anybody would. But we should ask whether this is more of a larger plan. But overall, 
I think what is clearly indicating is that everyone's pretending they want something to happen, but nobody's doing anything. And here's what Netanyahu just said yesterday. And this just makes my point for me that I've been screaming about. He says, Netanyahu says, Israeli military will enter Rafah even if a hostage deal is reached with Hamas. And this is the whole point, is that won't happen because the agreement will be about no more military engagement, at least until the hostages are exchanged. So in a way, he's kind of setting that up like to where they they might make the deal and then go right back to doing this afterward, which is what I've been saying the whole time. They were going to do that either way. So if they ultimately make some kind of an agreement for the hostages, that would mean ultimately that they would eventually come back to going after Hamas, which, I, you know, again, I think that's transparently obvious. But at the main point being that this entire time they've continued to refuse this agreement in any sense, before Rafa or any other point. For their hostages, they pretend is their primary objective. But so now he's going to go in there, which means killing all these people, even if they reach a deal. So explain that for me. You make a deal with Hamas. Now, what if that, well, I mean, I don't want to get into hypothetical, but what if the deal included surrender, which I don't think it will. I think my gut tells me, which everyone is seeing, this is ultimately about all of Palestine. And it, what, I mean, if, if Palestinian Islamic Jihad has estimation 100,000 people, which is what Robert would discuss in these articles, you know, they're estimations, but overall more than double of the Hamas numbers. Why are we only talking about Hamas? And I'm not saying we should be going after all these groups. I don't think that any of this is honest, but from their perspective, it shows you that this is a dishonest tactic. And we're going to get into the Hamas element again as we go through this, that this is not really about Hamas. It's just the narrative. And if Hamas wasn't there, it would be any other example. But they're going to go into Rafa because I think this is about much more than just eliminating Hamas. Tazim points out to the statement for, that in regard to going into Rafa either way, it was never about the hostages. It's never about self-defense. It was never about Hamas. It's all about genocide and ethnic cleansing. Like you realize they're claiming they just saved people from this location. So you're going to go in there aggressively knowing that you're going to potentially kill the very, I mean, you're pretending that that's where all the hostages are. So why would you go in in the way you're describing it like, it just doesn't make any sense, especially when they're offering a deal to exchange them. You want these people to be hurt. I don't know how you misunderstand that. Now, it's it, it a F, F, I don't know how to say is that part. This, this account says, breaking, speaking at the presser this evening, and I've got the clip for you, Israeli, oh, no, for the other one, actually, but Netanyahu has confirmed the ground operations in Rafah will coincide with the forcible transfer, which they're pretending is like whatever the term they use, like willful migration, which nobody in there wants to do this. Forcible transfer coincide with the Rafa operation of the already displaced Palestinians. You know, and they were displaced a long time ago. They've been displaced countless times just since October 7th, which were war crimes every time, no matter what. He did not divulge as to whether, but I expect his former national security advisor and close confidant Shabbat will be already mapped, has already mapped this out. This is while all of the world, even their allies are saying Rafa is kind of a no-go. They're going to do it anyway. That's what I just called the show yesterday. The I forget the exact term that, you know, the the totally avoidable impending Rafa massacre, which I think we all just kind of feel coming, even though everybody can see it. And it's so disgusting to me that there's no other action to be taken here. But it's going to coincide and that's going to be moving these people into some other location. Now, Egypt spoke up and threatened to suspend key peace treaty with Israel if they push into Rafa. I don't think Israel cares. I think they've already acknowledged, I think they've already kind of realized that Egypt is not going to be part of their organization. Like that they realize that this is going to be something they have to throw at the doorstep of Egypt. 
which uh, is a point I'll make in a second about these, the game is played about why, why doesn't Egypt want them is, you know, the, the suggestion behind it all, even some sometimes just blatantly stated that it's because Palestinians are gross and bad and evil and they, nobody wants them. That's, it's so racist and disgusting for someone even to suggest that, but it's not the case. I'll get to it in a minute, but it's largely about allowing the criminal to get away with their crime. But Egypt said, if you push into Rafa, it'll break all other agreements we might have had. And that's in regard to like normalization with Israel. So Freddie Pontone has pointed out an interesting point in this, that we talked about the the, height, the, the report anyway, that they were building some kind of uh, almost like loading zone for Palestinians to come into Egypt. My point was simply that it worried me because I, I have been seeing this bill that everyone's saying, no, that's wrong, it's bad, it's a crime, you know, and these people are displaced, and it's not Egypt's responsibility to take on millions of people anyway. The point is, I, I knew it would get to a point to where they would try to push them so aggressively, so violently, that eventually they would say, well, we know Israel's going to keep going forward, so we have to st- act and move them into Egypt for their safety. But that would give Israel exactly what it's trying to accomplish by means of terrorism. So realize that giving into this is uh, is saying good. Terrorism is good. Keep bombing and murdering and we'll give you what you want. Which that point will come up again in a second in reverse. But basically his point is that it turns out that might not be true. That Egypt might actually be building what they claim, what other reports have claimed. It turns out that report seems to have stemmed from a, a Zionist kind of platform. And I think that is because they're trying to manufacture the conversation. Even as Egypt is going, hell no, it's not going to happen. They're trying to make this kind of politically happen anyway. It's very interesting. As he writes, so far, Egypt denies building shelters for Palestinians, stresses rejection to any displacement attempt, because that's what it's about, displacement, a crime. However, Israel public broadcaster Khan said Sunday that the army approved a plan to attack Rafah, right? So I think two two things. Israel's trying to manufacture the illusion that there's a plan ready, that they're going to go right over there when it happens, which is what this is about. They already have like an entire thing that BBC is showing, which shows them in Egypt, guys. So, which Egypt is going, hell no. So th- this is very interesting, this real big push to manufacture. They already have a plan. It's just Egypt in the way now. You see how that's working? And, and their own platform is claiming that we approve the attack because we said we have a plan. Remember Biden said no invasion without a plan. This gave them that one on a silver platter, even though there is no plan still. He says, meanwhile, the U.N. High Commissioner for Refugees said on earlier today, and this was on the 16th, that a spillover of refugees from Gaza's Rafah into Egypt's Sinai would be a disaster and that Egyptian authorities have made it clear that they would not assist this. Interesting, right? And so this was a censored voice posted this. uh, This was yesterday. Multiple reports have been published recently regarding this supposed safe zone. A lot of conspiracy theories shared as to uh, uh, as well about Egypt and a and a by a Sinai human rights organization that's actually based in London. And he shows the image here, and he says, "Please understand that everyone's trying to push the whole world into thinking that Egypt is complicit with the Zionist entity Israel, and that Egypt is stopping the whole the aid." Which again, I don't know why anybody still if somebody's still buying that narrative, you're wholesale blindly following what Israel says. In, while every piece of evidence contrasts and uh, contradicts what they're saying, a lot of people are doing that. I don't know why. There's, it's easy. Just look up what everybody in the world is saying other than Israel, and you'll see it. Even the corporate media, which is mind-blowing to me. But that's what he's, what he's claiming, that some people still think that Egypt is stopping the aid, while, in fact, Israel's the one actively stopping it. I'll show you that in a minute. 
He says also it's been phrased by the president of Egypt that displacing the Palestinians is a red line. Do not fall for the propaganda, he says, shared by the Zionist entity to distract and divide. They recently showed that the area is a logistical area created to house more trucks. Now, the point, bottom line, he, just, he was just showing a video of the trucks and so on, that, that appears to be a misrepresentation. Now, we'll see how it ends up with Egypt, but it seems obvious they're saying no. And yet, here's what the BBC put out. John Cusack shared this. He says, BBC just published this. Let's see. It's a bit of a puzzle. What might be going on here? A fortified perimeter, big walls, no exit. What does that suggest? Was thinking maybe a luxury villa for everyone? Oh, no, wait, it's a prison. <laughs> but that's, it's crazy. Like, if you actually look into this, the point is they're really, they're outlining a literal prison camp. It's just, it's so disgusting what they get away with. The Zionists is what I'm talking about. And people are calling it out. But so this is about trying to manufacture this concept, right? Now, this, I want, there's a point here that just a thought that I had. And I, just kind of like an, like an analogy to kind of allow people to see or rather just kind of think about this in the right way, I would say. Like, so think about this in the context in regard to the displacement into Egypt. Because there's people that are saying, oh, well, you know, that it should be, there should be no problem with it. We're trying to help these people, you know, whatever. And acting like the only reason is because we all secretly know that nobody wants these bad people. <clears throat> I mean, it's just so disgusting in, its, in, its, in and of itself. But think about it like this. Like, let's say I wanted, wanted decided to just take all of Mexico's territory, right? As the United States or whatever, another entity. But I wanted all of it. I just decided that I took all of Mexico, right? But these people have to go somewhere, right? I'm displacing all these people because the point is I don't want any of the Mexicans in there. I want to take it and make it my new thing. But they're not allowed in the United States. No, that's because I just don't want that. I say, no, you can't come this way, even though that's what would make logical sense if I'm pushing them out of an area that I need, right? But all the other nations strongly oppose my obvious illegal actions, right? They see that, what I'm doing is illegal. And by accepting the people that I'm displacing, that they're ex allowing my obviously illegal actions by displacing all the Mexicans out of their actual home. And by supporting it, I'm continuing to be aiding and abetting illegal actions. And ultimately, the point would be, just like we're dealing with today, that if the, if the other countries, if or actually, I'm mixing it up. If I were to say, you know, what's wrong? You, what do you don't like Mexicans? You think they're all disgusting? You don't want them into your countries? Of course, then some people would get on board and say, yeah, you're racist. Why don't you take them all? What's the big problem? Let them in. Well, the big problem is that what you're doing is a crime and everybody can see it. And these countries are not wanting to be a part of that crime, whether or not they have a specific opinion about what these people are and what they could do. On top of the obvious reality that taking in millions of people it's going to cost a lot of money. There's going to be all sorts of political problems. Then Egypt is responsible for a problem Israel created and dumped on onto their doorstep. And again, that's kind of independent of whether they have a the government feels a certain way about Palestinians. And yet, you get people like the Elon Levies and Dave or Eli Davids of the world that are coming out and, I mean, like five times a day, insinuating that nobody wants. Look at all the wires on their fencing, which, by the way, most of these countries do. It, because they hate Palestinians, because everybody knows how bad they are. But by the way, while simultaneously in other conversations, acting like we're only going after Hamas because we want to save all the innocent Palestinians. And then over here going, but they're all disgusting and everybody hates them. That's why, like, it's just, they, they can't even pick a lane. Like, they're just blatantly showing who they really are. But I think that's an important way to look at that. That ultimately, it comes down to the illegal action 
and the acknowledgement that by allowing the Palestinians to be moved out of their homeland, which, by the way, even if that wasn't the origin point, it is actually their occupied territory. But even if it wasn't, we're still talking about people that have been living in a certain area that are now being displaced. And that that is not that it's a crime. You're, you're, you're saying, yes, Israel can get away with the overwhelming genocide they committed to achieve this, and then we're going to allow it to happen because we're just allowing them to continue to commit crimes beyond the genocide. I think that's very obvious. And I think most people are beginning to see that. And on top of that, government's beginning to see that we see that, and they're acting in accordance with that. You know, that they just recognize that we're not going to be swayed by more BS narratives, and we'll get into some of that in a minute. Now, quick example on Rafa before we go forward. This was Middle East Eye. I, this is so insulting to me. This is from the ninth of this month. So while these people are all trapped, and by the way, I guess we just stopped talking about the fact that there's hundreds of American Palestinians that are there right now that nobody that Biden doesn't care about. These are American citizens. There's also British citizens, like we're going to talk about here. But because they're Palestinian Brit Britons or Americans, nobody cares about that. Think about how weird that is. I mean, it's disgusting. It's racist. These people are bad people. They don't care about humanity. They care about their objectives using humanity. But the point here is MI5 apparently tried to recruit a British man who's in Gaza. You know how? By saying, hey, if you work for us, we'll, we'll get you out of there. Oh, you're going to get us out of there, are you? What about all the rest of them? You don't care about them, do you? What about the other Britons that are still there? Do they not matter? What about all the innocent children? Can you get them out too if I work for you? Like these people are so grotesque. They're absolutely complicit in all of this. And they'll, they'll save somebody should they have an advantage. A man is now stranded in Rafa, which, by the way, that's only because of what Israel's doing. You realize they've jammed them into this area, and now they're bombing them to death. Including his infant daughter, who has a serious medical condition. Now, it says he reached out to Britain, trying to get them to help him get out of there. He, now, the point was that it says right here, He's been waiting for weeks despite appealing to the foreign office for help. Now, the MI5 offered to get him out there if he agreed to work as a spy. Now, what would that mean exactly? Spy for what? So Britain wants spies in Gaza? Yeah. Shouldn't surprise you seeing as how the U.S. and Britain are completely complicit and on the ground with Israel helping them commit genocide, signing bombs and helping them and giving them everything they need. They're not, they don't care about this as much as they want you to think they suddenly do now. The man who said he did not accept the offer, so he said, no, I don't want to be a spy, now fears that his displaced family, who includes a one-year-old daughter and two other young children, are in danger because they ignored him now. Right, so Britain knows one of their people are there. They go, hey, we can get you out if you want to spy for us. And he goes, I don't want to be a spy. Hang up that phone call. We don't care about you anymore. Think about how disgusting that is. That these people are able to save their own and don't because he won't do what they want. They're letting his children die because he won't spy for them. I mean, there's so many implications in that, but it just shows you how bad these people are. Again, if you want a real binary line of good and evil, you're looking at the evil side. And I'll just give a shout out to this guy. I'm not familiar with his work, but this is where, uh, I forget who sent me this, but I think it's important to shout out some people that are doing good work. He's got a you know very small channel. And he just did a little breakdown of this of this article. MI5 tried to recruit British man in Gaza by offering help. You know, I, just, I remember when I when I was first starting, and I did like I just grabbed an article and kind of just talked about it and did a little ten minute breakdown. You know, it's, we should support people trying to do. You know, and he's trying to expo call out things that need to be called out. 
I just think it's good and support people up and coming in this. Now, going over into some other kind of foreign policy related points before we get into like the, the real big propaganda part of this, I wanted you to see this to make sure you saw what else is going on, how aggressively it seems Israel is in a very desperate fashion trying to create this into a bigger war. I, I don't know how this already didn't how this already hasn't spun out. Well, I do. It's because of the overwhelming restraint of, of Iran, of Russia. I mean, look at what just happened here. Israel is responsible, and this is per even the Times of Israel, for strikes on, on Iranian infrastructure. We're talking about direct military strikes in Iran from Israel. I mean, that's, that should be world-shattering. Nothing. You don't even, you're barely even hearing about this. And the reason the Times of Israel covers is because that they, they're, proud, they're proud of it. This is how, usually how this goes. You won't hear it anywhere in the Western media because they don't want you to know that they're getting away with something which is an aggressive crime because we're talking about civilian infrastructure. There's no way around this. You can't be like Hamas is behind their civilian. You can't, this is direct targeting of civilian infrastructure, which in any stretch of the imagination is off record or off, uh, off limits, excuse me, under international law. Even within the game they're playing now, they're pretending these hospitals are used by Hamas, which makes them a military target. There's no, there's not even a narrative around this. What do you think this is meant to do? They're, they are desperately trying to get them to lash out. So then the media will only cover their response and it will spin into a very much more dangerous situation. I guess just to save Netanyahu's career. Is that what we're all voting, caring about? Seeing, imagining your vote actually matters. We're going we're gonna to do everything we're doing in this country, all the two-party paradigm conversation, all the big shows and talking and everything just to keep Netanyahu in power. 50,000 lives later. Yeah, that's what we care about. The destruction of civilian infrastructure in Iran was considered a major escalation in the shadow war between Tel Aviv and Tehran. Israel was behind a pair of attacks on major gas pipelines inside of Iran this week. Nobody cares about that. I mean, can you even wrap your mind around how monumental that is? Where are the big channels on this? This was two days ago. Can you imagine if any of these people bombed, I don't know, any civilian, anything, even like tangential to anything within the United States, obviously, anything inside of Israel. But can you imagine if it was even just something that they did perceived as their territory, mean, anything? This would be World War Three already. They would have bombed Iran. They would have done all. But what does Iran do? They calculate their next move. They wait, which is pretty alarming when you think about it, because this is what real militaries do. Right. But and, and again, you could take that as some kind of pro support. It's not. It's just an acknowledgement of, of belligerent actions versus tact, strategic actions. I think all of these people are concerning, but I can't believe that that's going undiscussed. And it's they're pushing this. They did speak out in press TV saying that this was a terrorist act, which means they will respond, guys. This is a terrorist act. Well, speaking of that, actually, I should. Uh, I definitely want uh, Robert to cover this. Which I should have him back on pretty soon. I was going to send it to him real quick. Pretty crazy. Now, on top of that, another important news, you might not be shocked to find out as they're literally bombing a foreign country with no legal justification and, you know, doing everything else they possibly can to benefit from the situation while they're murdering children every single moment. Well, they're also planning to steal all the gas that we we're told was a complete blood libel conspiracy theory, Right. This is also, this is written, oh, this was, uh, uh, what is the, this platform? 
But this r- roundly reported discussion, as I'll show you in a second, they granted gas exploration licenses in areas considered to be within Palestine's maritime boundary. Well, seeing as how it's literally all Palestine, I think it's obvious. But let's realize that this is a, an illegal action, no matter how you spin it. We talked about, um, here, I mean, I think I can grab it here. Maybe not. Well, there, there was an article. Maybe that's the one. Let's see. Should pop up. Nope, not that one. Here it is. Unrealized potential of Palestinian oil and gas reserves. Now, we talked about this, too, and my thought was this definitely plays a factor. But I didn't know, you know, I still don't think it's the primary objective. I really don't. But clearly, this is a factor. And it's a, what they're doing is illegal. This was 2019, which could generate hundreds of billions of dollars. This is Palestinian territory, right? So the point is, they're now giving licenses for this. But here was a meeting on November 9th, 2023, end of last year. Second committee from the UN approves three resolutions, including text demanding Israel cease exploitation of natural resources in Palestinian territory, but also the Golan Heights. Right, because that's also illegally occupied territory, no matter what anybody says. It's proven the reality. Only Israel and the United States pretend otherwise. And they're stealing from these locations. And here's the UN for the umpteenth time saying you have to stop stealing from them. That's what exploits exploiting these territories you illegally occupy. Guess what? They don't care. <laughs> Energy firms face legal threat over Israeli licenses to drill for offshore gas. This one was just today or uh, what? Uh, two days, three days ago. Again. Grants gas exploration licenses in areas considered to be Palestinian territory. It's happening in real time right now. Nobody cares. It's just they're getting away with murder. The saying, but also literally. But I don't think it's going to last very long. I think people are seeing right through this. But this is pretty crazy how illegal every stretch of this is they're stealing what they can from the ground they're bulldozing all of the area they're going to be able to illegal settlements they're murdering people every every moment we're talking right now they're trying to drive them all in a mass displacement to some other location but it's all defending yourself right I mean, how can we still pretend that even logically makes sense now on top of that let's remember that going back to this little picture Right, they're they're building stuff like this or trying to, but also all the way around these areas. Because let's not forget, this is about building new settlements. This is the reality, guys. We're going to show us again. They're they're dancing at the new settlement conference. I mean, this is literally, and that's Ben Gavir. They're all dancing, and this they have out in the background. If you can't see it in this video, it's like barely right there, I think. But you can see the big map they have back there, and it shows all the, the it shows Gaza, and it's got these new settlements. They've got funding allotted for it. They've got con- construction plans mapped out. I mean, it's so embarrassing that anybody. What it shows you is that corporate media is either that willfully blind or stupid, or they're all dishonest liars. All these big he- talking heads that people listen to that won't acknowledge this provable reality, or any number of other ones. It is happening, and here is a, a Channel Fourteen. They, they posted this, proudly discussing, it's, it's in Hebrew, but you got head uh, subtitles, how they're going to basically re- put a buffer zone all the way around this and be- build a highway to the middle. Like, they're, they're reimagining the whole damn thing. Get ready for the new Gaza smart city, only for Jewish-Israeli settlers.
ברוכים הבאים לכביש 749. הכביש הזה יוצא כאן ממש, מנחל עוז, כל הדרך מערבה לתוך רצועת עזה. until they get rid of the people in the West Bank. So that's another point we'll get to in a second. And that's not my opinion, guys. The, the whole, we'll get to the, the, the Hamas part again. The reality of why they've always been funding Hamas, Israel, because they wanted to make sure that they would use that entity to keep them to those two divided. Right? Fatah on one side, Hamas on the other, keep them at odds, make sure that they continue to be divided and at worst, argue that they're supporting these terrorist groups, therefore we can't allow them to be independent. That's how they play this game, while funding those very groups. So embarrassingly obvious. So what he's saying is we're building this highway, but if you believe for one second they're going to let that be, ha- be a highway while Palestinians have access back and forth, you're lying to yourself. So this means the West Bank is on, is on the docket to be removed as well. So big security middle ground area that blocks it off. Le- uh, They realize this is all on top of people's buried, just crushed homes and all their belongings and everything they had to leave when they were fleeing, when Netanyahu said, I promise you'll be allowed to come back, and then they bulldozed all their homes. לפשוט לעבר מרחבים שיש בהם אויב, למנוע את המעבר מדרום לצפון. I mean, like, how about that? How about the guy, if they're going to build this gigantic middle buffer zone on which, on, play, on which there were houses before they did that, they never intended to let these people come back to their homes. I mean, just think about that small example. Like, all the people that were living in that area are now, their, their homes are demolished, they never got their homes back, they never got their possessions back, they never got to go back to them like he promised. They just bulldozed them over, built these things under the guise that we have to keep the North safe, safe from the South or whatever they're saying. But that's a crime, guys. There's no way around it. These people have homes. They were there. Belongings that they crushed, didn't care about. You can't just yell Hamas and pretend like none of that matters. Now take that on an entire society scale. All of Gaza. <laughs> כאן הציר הזה כבר מוכן, כפי שאתם רואים, ובקרוב הוא ייסלל גם בחלקו המערבי, קרוב לחוף עזה. מאחורינו, ממזרח, נחל עוז, מלפנינו, ממערב, הנה הים, אני רואה את הים עוד רגע באופק. אנחנו נוסעים עכשיו על מה שבעתיד יהיה כביש לכל דבר ועניין, יש לו כבר מספר זמני, כביש 749. לכל אורך הציר, מימין, משמאל, מלפנים או מאחור, לא ראינו בית אחד שלם, נראה שכל הבניינים הם מכופפים, אולי אפילו מצדיעים עול, מלפנים או מאחור, לא ראינו בית אחד שלם. We have not seen a single undamaged house. I mean, you realize they're proudly promoting this, guys. We have not seen a single undamaged house. So are we literally now arguing that every single house was a Hamas command center? That every single house had a tunnel? I would love for someone to actually try to verify that. I'll bet you my life that m- almost all of them don't have tunnels, but they made that claim. They demolished all of them, and three different people in the last month have argued on major shows that 
every house and every mosque and every hospital and school have tunnels and commands. They've said this, which is just a way to pretend you're justifying murdering all these people and destroying all the infrastructure. And all these government officials who 30 seconds ago couldn't stop screaming about a rules-based international order blindly support it because they're bad people. Just insulting. You see this part here? Saying basically the houses, you know, not a single house is left standing. And there's almost it's almost as if they're they're saluting to the troops as they walk by all the bent and broken houses. Like you just you can't man, you you can't fake that kind of hatred blithe attitude towards any all these human life, all these homes and destruction. And this is December 31st, 2023. Smotrich touts revival of Gaza settlements after war. Once Gazans encouraged to leave. Like in some circles, this actually fake news. If you go, they're building settlements in the area. They're talking about, they you're crazy. That's fake news. It's blood libel. All of this. Yet it's publicly, openly discussed on Israeli media. Here's, a, here's one of these examples. Khaleesi plays this. Listen to the genocide plan. <clears throat> and this is former mayor an Israeli settler, we've already played many examples, Daniela Weiss, saying there's an army of settlers ready to occupy Gaza and build new illegal settlements. It's, there's subtitles here. Where will you live in Gaza, he says. He says, well, we'll see. But we want it to happen as soon as possible. When I went to Hebron, it was also quick. And now we're, so basically other illegal areas that they've occupied. They're not even bashful about pointing this out. They don't care. I'll play another clip about that in a second. I know that 70% of the houses in Gaza were destroyed. Well, we just heard all of them. You might have a problem finding a place. I'm ready to live in a tent. There are still houses there. And thirdly, we can build quickly. And a thousand people are ready to go with you. More than a thousand. Just a few weeks ago, we started registering. And there are families, more than 300 families have already literally registered on the record to illegally occupy Gaza. And yet we're still debating if this is happening. This is on Israeli media. Do you think your government and politicians don't know that? They're lying to you. Because they're dishonest people, and you still support them anyway. It says, and this number was last week, and there are more numbers than that. We are very serious about this matter. Gosh darn it, man. You know, it's just, it's just so infuriating for those of us in the world that are honest, doing your best to try to help people in a dishonest world full of manipulators, liars, and thieves, and murderers. Now, I don't think that's majority. I don't. But there, these seem to be very clearly people that are in positions of power. Here was Smotritz dancing at the conference, literally a conference about planning illegal settlements. 
And they're all just having fun, dancing away as children are literally starving to death right there. Now, I think I, there, this was um, the clip I was going to play. I don't have right here. It's another section. Forget what it was now. Ah, in any case, it'll pop up in a second. I feel like it's very relevant to that point. Anyway, the point, and we'll include this as well. The plan for new Gaza-Israeli settlements I talked about on December 18th, 2023. Because it's, all, it's been that obvious in public long before that, actually. Now, let's talk about propaganda. I think this is a very important part of this. Now, obviously, it's going to be impossible to talk about propaganda without focusing on Mr. Propaganda himself and the October 7th war spokesman, as well as the other usual characters. But I'm going to point out something here I think is important. It's about the, and then from there, we're going to get into the Zionism point. But this is about trying to very, you know, I I would argue it's pretty clumsy. I think, I don't think people are falling for it. But trying to, in a coordinated way, one, obviously, as they've been doing from the beginning, frame any resistance to Israel as as secret hate for Jews or anti-Semitism or whatever, which as I've always said, I guarantee at some level, some of these people probably feel, you know, have racist thoughts about some people, whether it's Jews or black people or whatever. That should exist in the world and we all know it. There are people that feel that way. My point, though, is that to argue that it just is all Palestine support is just, I mean, that's that's childishly dishonest. Everybody knows that can't, it's not the reality. Now, I argue it's very obvious, provable, that it's not even a, a, a large portion of this movement. It's, it's transparently obvious. At the very least, they're all publicly lying about it, which is to argue would be that how in the world do you somehow secretly know that they actually think this when none of them are saying that? The point is obvious. These people are fighting for the Palestinian people to have self-determination. And that very statement itself becomes, you hate Jews because their self-determination means we don't have ours. No, it doesn't. But that's how you see it because you're stealing from them. And if you see them come taking any kind of control over their lives, you perceive that as taking from you. That's what occupiers do. That's what guilty consciences do, right? But he says, then the next three or four clips are all about basically things like we talked about, saying from the river to the sea or other terms that they just then make into racism and then because that's racism next point right so they build on a lie and build on and continue into that he says have you ever have you here you have excuse me the perfect demonstration of why these hate parades literally a parade calling for ceasefire hate parades i mean it's in a perverse inversion of reality are so muddled he says what are they marching for a ceasefire or perpetual war over the whole land now you'll see what this is what he pretends is happening here Let's listen to it and then make fun of how aggressively dishonest that is. Live on- Hold on now, this one. We will not stop. We cannot stop. We will not stop. We will never stop marching. We will never stop protesting. We will never stop boycotting Woo! until a ceasefire is called, until a genocide is ended, until the occupation is ended, until apartheid Woo! is dismantled, until the day when all of the Palestinian people from the river to the sea are finally, finally, finally free from the river to the sea. Okay, so the point is obvious. Outside of arbitrary narrative set around terms, right? So outside of the argument that from the river to the sea means you hate Jews or from any other, other than these 
games of placing meaning on things that other people say when you, one, have no idea if that's what they mean, and two, most all of these people provably do not think what you're claiming. Either way, the point is, other than doing that, what they said is obviously about peace and ceasefire. And what the, the, the terms he's plucking out, obviously from the river to the sea, but the idea that what he's saying is we will never stop marching. Okay, what they're marching for is what he later said. Peace, ceasefire, end of apartheid, end of occupation. But you see, the problem is the end of occupation to him means the end of Israel. When it doesn't have to be, technically, a two-state solution would not be the end of Israel, but they don't want that, right? They've made these binary ultimatum absolutist arguments where either they go or we go, you know, whatever. But again, what he says is we will never stop marching to end what anybody else can acknowledge are illegal concepts illegal occupation apartheid is obviously racist they don't they just say they're not apartheid so what are you saying you disagree with the ending of apartheid ending of occupation or are you just in a very clumsy way as you seem to do lately acknowledging that that's what you are and therefore they want you to end like i actually don't even think he's thinking these things through he's kind of reflexively responding to this stuff but my, a ceasefire or tell me where they were arguing for perpetual war only in a world where he makes in his argument or he puts his narrative over what you're saying. It's just embarrassing. But you, it, let, me, let me ask you this. If this is what they have to frame to make it look like they hate, can you imagine how peaceful these people are? I mean, really think about it like that. They have to pretend you mean things that you're not even saying. And otherwise you could show, I mean, again, there are people you could point out that are going to say, it's about Jews or that we hate this or we want that. You could find that, but you will not find it prominent in these locations, no matter how hard they try. And I'll tell you what, I'll show you some examples. It is rife throughout the Israeli population. The aggressive, trained, educated hatred towards any Arab for the most part, specifically Palestinians. But not all uh, IDF or Israeli or Jews actually think that. I do argue, though, that a majority of them have been convinced to believe that. But I'll tell you, there's a huge portion of people in Israel and out that are fighting to expose that. Here's another example. He says, how hard is it to march for, for an intifada or ceasefire? I'm losing track. Well, let's look at that first. Again, this game they play. where Because of the way that our dumb Western media has been framing things like intifada or jihad. Like literally making them into dangerous boogeyman terrorist words when that's not what they actually mean. But who cares about meanings, right? Let's just change the definitions and whatever we want. Okay, it's not data function. It's EPPP, you stupid, crazy conspiracy theorist. The point is intifada means a rebellion, an uprising, or literally a resistance movement. Okay, literally all of those things are protected under international law. The fourth Geneva Convention argues you can armed, armed rebellion or armed uprising armed resistance, literally shooting guns at their other side if you're an occupied area, which we know this is. Legally under international law, that's armed resistance. So all they're literally saying is resist, rebellion, fight for your rights. But to him, it means dangerous jihad Muslim terrorist because he's ridiculous. And I don't think he even thinks that. I think it's about making up the narrative to make you think that. But he says it's hard to march for his contradictory thing or his misrepresented term there and not post a photo of yourself in front of a blatantly anti-Semitic placard. Okay. Well, let's look at what this might be. Okay. I see solidarity, nuclear disarmament, ceasefire, free Palestine. Oh, what a racist sentiment. 
How dare you call for free Palestine? Like, okay. Oh no, we've got Corbin there. That must be the racist part. Well, he highlights this little this little action right here. What in the world about this is anti-Semitic? So you've got an American or a, a, a Statue of Liberty holding a baby in a Jewish garb, or a specifically not even Jewish garb, but Star of David, Israeli state, <laughs> Zionism garb. Again, I just, it's, again, same point. That's the best you got? That's hatred? Let's walk through what Israel says on a day, on a minute-to-minute basis. Let's go through just what you've said in the last half day and the aggressive, racist, pro-giant uh, genocide statements and this is what you claim is hatred? I just can't even... That's We should laugh. That's really stupid. Because, because I guess it argues some... In, like, that, it, that Israel influences U.S. policy, which is, by the way, literally what their lobbyist government operations do or what lobbyists are paid to do. It's what their jobs are. But I guess if you say that Israeli lobbyists lobby, it gets racist. Facts are racist, apparently. Well, let's talk about the other one from the river to the sea. Same thing. You realize he just does this nonstop. The same dumb statements over and over with different pictures. These people are clearly being guided and they do the same post across five or six accounts that I keep seeing. Same, like within the same 15 minute window. Like this is all coming from something very clearly. But he says, which is it? Hate parade? Which doesn't even make sense, by the way. Which is it? Usually comes with two options, but you know, you know he's rushing apparently. But it says, do you want a ceasefire or a fight? Oh, I, oh, I guess he meant like, which is it? Hate parade? Asking the hate parade. <laughs> so desperate. Do you want a ceasefire or a fight from River to the Sea? Because the, the point is, all he's really framing is this one sign that says from River to the Sea will be free. Because he argues that that means a fight now. I thought it just meant you wanted Israel gone. But I guess that means a fight. Make up your mind. I mean, it's just so painful. And he goes, do you know what you, he, he, he says, we know what you mean. Jews cease, you fire. Wow. Like, guys, this is embarrassing for Jews. There are Jewish people that are cringing at this kind of nonsensical Zionist propaganda. It's insulting. It's childish. It is lowbrow. This is bottom of the barrel, lowest common denominator. Somebody's literally holding a sign that says Palestine should have self-determination, which is what that means. Or really, you could argue it means one of three things. Either, yes, that all of Palestine should legally go back to the Palestinians, which is, by the way, the legal reality. But I don't think anybody honest sees that as a true solution because there's lots of Israelis that live there that have nothing to do with the Zionist agenda. Right? So that's just the, the fallout of having this go on for so long. But it is the way we are, the reality, right? There's innocent people on all sides of this. So the point is that most honest people, even from Palestinian side, want a two-state solution. 67 borders, you know, the, the reality of what they pretended they wanted, then armed Hamas to be able to stop. That's Israel. We'll get to it again in a second. So either, yes, that would mean the legal reality of all of it, which then technically would mean that Israel, at the very least, wouldn't exist in this area. But again, no one's really asking for that. So what it means is a symbolic reality that from the river to the sea, whoever owns the area, Palestinians will be free, not living in an open-air prison camp, not under the boot of Israeli military, but existing in this area, but free. You see how that can mean? I mean, or I could probably make up five other things it possibly could mean. The idea that he somehow contorts it into fighting or hating Jews, I just, it's, again, falling flat. 
I'm 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 seeing a, a waterfall of Jewish organizations and Jewish individuals going, you don't represent me. You're making us all look ridiculous because what you're doing is making them unsafe by framing all of this about somehow anti-Jewish, which then makes a lot of people because they're either too stupid to see that he's lying or because they're emotionally attached suddenly start having negativity towards Jewish people at large because they've convinced he's convinced them that there's somehow this reverse. Like, think about it like this. They're literally murdering children in real time. And then if they believe what he's saying, they take it as the Jews are the ones kind of pushing back against that. It's not what's happening. It's Zionism. But that innocent person over there who gets manipulated by Elon to do that is falling into the Zionist trap. Now, only innocent in the sense that he doesn't realize he's being lied to. If he falls into that, he probably had some level of racism there in the first place. But either way, it's this person's fault. He's the one making Jews unsafe. Zionism is the core example of what causes hatred and racism and negativity or rather specifically just the way that they've conducted this agenda. And then uh, this person says, I think it might be the prime minister's son that they're getting this idea from. What does he mean by this? Oh, look at that. From the river to the sea, this flag is all you'll see. I guess it's totally okay if they do it, which is just, again, I've said it so many times, it's just embarrassing. Here's Eli David from the river to the sea. That's the flag you're going to see. So if you want to pretend that saying that means Israel won't exist, well, isn't that the same thing? Doesn't that mean Palestine won't exist? Well, yes. And that's why they do it, because they're actually laughing at you. They're, they're getting people censored for saying it as if it's hatred, but only in one direction, which makes you all flaming, ridiculous hypocrites. If you're supporting that. But here's David Roth Lindbergh saying Netanyahu says in the future, Israel must control all of it from the river to the sea. I mean, there's so many examples but I guess, again, it doesn't matter if you if he goes the other direction because it's, it's okay to want to genocide Palestinians. It's obvious. It's happening in front of us right now, in their minds anyway. Well, let's also remember, as I pointed out, it's literally in the founding document of their original party platform of, of Netanyahu's Likud party. It says, between the sea and the Jordan, there will be only Israeli sovereignty, which, by the way, is even more explicit. It means there will be not just only Israel, but no sovereignty for anybody but Israel. No Palestinian sovereignty, no sovereignty for Palestinians. I mean, they'll, they'll even box out the Ethiopian Jews because they don't like them, which, by the way, is actually part of what happens here. So think about the think about what we were just talking about. The idea of what they're blaming Palestinians are doing or framing for them, they're literally doing themselves. Kind of, kind of classic of the old, accuse them of that which you are guilty, right? More to that than you realize. But remember, here's Elon Musk saying, as I said earlier, decolonialization, which I can't believe a guy from South Africa actually said that. How embarrassing. Like you're not allowed to promote going away from colonialization. It's ridiculous. All his point was simply is that is to implicate or suggest that Israel is a colonial settler. I can't talk right now. A colonial settler government, which is what it is. So is the United States. But he also says from the river to the sea. Now note, he doesn't say in regard to Israel or Palestine. He just says, saying that is this is a euphemism that implies genocide. And then guess what? They all laughed and came out and said it. They called his bluff. And guess what? None of them got censored. Guess who did, though? Anybody saying it in regard to Palestine? Showing you yet again that Elon Musk is not on your side. And again, I pointed this out for him. Didn't care. I said, uh, but I'm sure that's totally not the same thing, right, Elon? Nobody cares. Well, on the other Elon side of this, Elon Levy, he points out this picture that says the Goebbels of Gaza with this really creepy picture of him. You could just see it in his eyes, in my opinion. But he says another day, another anti-Semitic hate parade. What is anti-Semitic about it? 
Like, let's be very honest about this. Now, this is only, and this is where we get into the overlap of like accusing them of being Nazis or, or as bad as Hitler or whatever. The only reason that that becomes anti-Semitic is because you're arguing that it's some kind of anti-Jewish concept. Why? You're the only one saying that. What we're saying when anybody makes this argument is that what you're doing, whether or not you're Jewish, whether or not you live in Israel, is as bad as what Hitler did. Is as bad as what the Nazis did. You see the point? But it only becomes racist when he makes it about his ethnicity, or rather specifically his religion and his ethnicity being Israeli, which is not what he would say. Or I guess technically, but he would argue that's a Jewish state, which is the whole point about the manipulation. My point, though, is that obviously he's lying. I mean, he is a, he is a relentless, incessant manipulator on Twitter. Just constant. Every 10 seconds, another lie comes out of his account. So what is that if not Goebbels? Goebbels was the propagandist for, not, for, for Hitler, and he's literally committing a genocide as he does this. So you can make it all you want desperately about Jewish people, but I think the reality is people are finding the courage to say you're wrong about that. We're talking about you as a propagandist killing people, whether or not you're Jewish. And they hate that because they want you to lean into that because that's the Zionist agenda to get you to fall into the trap of pretending it's about his being, him being Jewish. It's not. And this is the kind of stuff we're seeing. Here's Jordan saying, Jews are being framed again, and the world is falling for it again. And I said, the only group, quote, framing the Jews are Zionists and people like you. The rest of us are fully aware. Those who practice Judaism are many and varied with varying political and social opinions, many of whom actively call out Israel. We see that it is Zionism that's the true problem. And this kind of sentiment is dangerous for them because the point is you're desperately trying to make it about Jews all the time, which I've said every time. I'm sure people that are out there that have racist opinions. By and large, People being honest about this conversation are calling out the Israeli government. It's the same point of making the entire time I've ever talked about this conversation about Israel and their actions. But today, the difference is, it seems that that's gone viral. Thank God. Because it's really just about crimes being committed by powerful governments and us being able to call that out effectively. Here's another example. This person says, today alone, this is Modest Yahoo, who's a very famous Israeli singer. He says, a Jewish musician was forced to cancel two shows uh, after venue staff boycotted his show. Okay. Meanwhile, he says Kanye West, a notorious anti-Semite, which is not even true, was announced as a headliner for a music festival in Los Angeles. Well, what does one have to do with the other? Like, it's so funny how he conflates these things. Now, first of all, the fact, the only reason this becomes a problem, now look, I don't know the, the intentions behind the people that boycotted him. But I could argue that it, the only reason this tweet makes it about a Jewish musician is because you put that out there. I argue that most people who are boycotting anything right now is be like, what, what do you think they're boycotting? You think they're boycotting? We hate Jewish people. They're boycotting because he supports Israel and see that's the conflation. They make it about Jewish people as opposed to the reality that we're boycotting what the government of Israel is involved in. We're boycotting their illegal settlements and the fact that they manufacture profit and revenue off the backs of illegally occupied territory stealing their resources to make money from it and to work with groups like Starbucks and McDonald's and all the rest of these companies. And Modest Yahoo uh, is a wildly pro-Israel. He's done multiple shows for the IDF. I think one even recently. So the point is that he's supporting a genocide. You can make it about a Jewish musician when the rest of us are going to be honest and not racist about it and tell you that it's because you support a genocide committing government. As I said, it's about supporting genocidal Israel. Only racists and Zionists make it about Judaism. I think that's a response we need to start using. 
Think about that. Continue to point this out because they can turn around and say, you're racist, but it seems pretty dumb with that kind of a response. I'm saying it's about something else. You could pretend I'm lying about that, but if that's the best you got, you're going to lose the argument. Only racist and Zionists make it about Judaism. Now, the other point we keep seeing is these aggressive, like, like for instance, I saw a tweet the other day. Somebody showing like the, the UK newspaper that was like, anti-Semitism is bigger than ever. And they were like, oh my God, guys, look at where we are today. How do you, I simply responded by saying, well, sure, because it's in the newspaper, it must be true, right? Like just start there. And I'm not saying, for, for all we know it is. My point is, it's so crazy how people will still be led by what the newspaper said that day. Like, we can't argue that what they're saying is essentially, you know, the reports of this coming from the ADL are skyrocketing. Let's not forget, in the United States, they did the same thing. They basically, in every single Palestinian protest was deemed anti-Semitic. Therefore, every single action involved or investigation was deemed uh, anti-Semitic hate crime. Or we did January 6th, same thing. Every investigation they had, whether it was a grandma holding her phone or somebody who wasn't even there, they they framed it as a white supremacist investigation, which then became white supremacy investigations exploded. And mindless followers of corporate media went, oh my God, the news said it's everywhere. And people fall for it. And again, question it, consider it, but realize that this is how they operate. I quite frankly think that the only rise in anti-Semitism, if it is happening, is because of Zionists framing Jews as responsible but I don't actually think it's as big as they're, like they're claiming. They wouldn't need to manufacture these things like with help like APAC and the ADL. If they, if, like, like we're talking about, they wouldn't have to frame benign things as racism if there was so much around, right? Or use old images and act like, we just saw this and someone's like, that's from 10 years ago. Which shows you that there are some, but, but it's just, it's clearly few and far between. My point in this, this person says, I'm proud to be the president of the synagogue. Just incredible how the police determined we needed some 20 officers and several vans to protect us. Did they? Did they? Was that necessary? Like, so that's what people are saying. Look how many police are here. There's so much racism. Well, were they there because they were actually at threat or, you know, being threatened? Or because the narrative is this is a dangerous thing and this protest hates Jews. So let's get ahead of it, putting the police out. Because watch, watch them walk by. These people are just walking by. Now, of course, they're going to say, well, thank God the police were there. It would have been crazy. <laughs> or they weren't actually violent at all. And it's the police presence that you put there to make it appear that there was a problem or hope that something did happen or use agent provocateurs. The point is, guys, that it's so transparent. Just because they write an article or put police in the street does not mean that that's there because it was necessary. I may, I'm amazed that I even have to point this out for some people. But here Steve Lewis says in one of these protests, here is some hate speech. And they literally tag Metropolitan Police. Want them to be arrested for this, apparently. Because, yeah, in the UK, apparently, you can be arrested for speech. Gotta love that. But it says, here's some hate speech and its perpetrator at today's march. Okay, well, what's it say? Let's see. Shows a little David, star of David. And it says, I thought Hitler was dead. Okay, same point, guys. You could argue that it's racist and maybe she means it that way. But you have to realize that the only thing that makes it racist is if you insinuate that what she's doing is making it about Jews as opposed to being about the the government of Israel and their actions. Now, that's a much more of a fine line. I get it. But the reality is you don't know what's in her mind and people are desperate to make it about racism. The reality is everyone's watching a genocide take place. I mean, literally everybody seems to be able to see that. 
So when you're watching it take place and you could see that it's the Israeli government committing it, well, you could obviously connect that with the other large genocide we all seem to know about, right? This is not very hard to wrap your mind around. So she could simply be saying, look, I thought that was over. Here's Israel doing that. But they have to make it about Jews because the only way you can make this fit into the paradigm they can control. And on that note, let's talk about this again. Now I'll include this because I've mentioned it many times. Oh, actually, I forgot about this. I did want to play this again. Actually, I haven't played this in a minute. But I wanted to start with this since we've already showed it many times, which is Dan Cohen's tweet about the guy named Ezra Yachin, who is the, you know, oldest living reservist. They talked about him 95 years old right in the beginning of the genocide. And the point is, he's from the Lehi party. We've talked about this a few times. And I'll show you what he said before we go further. But the point, ultimately is that the Lehi Party, which is one of the founding aspects of the Zionist organization, tried to align itself with Nazi Germany. Twice. It's easy. You can look it up on Wikipedia. Here's the document. Even discusses down here that they continued to seek alliance with Nazi Germany even after the final solution began. Now, I'll play some clips that'll make this make more sense, but realize, how do you make sense of that? I've said many times, how do you logically argue that they created the state to get safe from this while trying to work with that? It just doesn't make any sense until you realize that Zionists are not what you pretend they are. Not what any of the governments pretend it is today. It's using it like the clip I played to start, which I'll play in a minute. But let's listen to what he said, first of all, just so you can hear the kind of hatred that stems from these kind of people, the Zionists, the core elements of what we're talking about which I don't think represents every Jew or every IDF member or every Israeli. I really don't. But it is a huge portion of these people because of what they've done over 75 years of controlling this population. This is subtitles, by the way, so I'm just going to read to you what he ultimately says. Darn it. Hold on. There it is. Ruva Slejo. Be triumphant, let them finish, and don't leave anyone Erase the memory of them. Erase them, their families, mothers, and children. They proudly put this out. This is Middle East I, but this was public. The animals can no longer live. He's speaking to a bunch of IEF members. Nowadays, we have no excuse. Tomorrow, Hezbollah could send an airstrike. As if that's the same thing we're talking about. And the Arabs here could attack us. Right. It's it's anti-Arab hatred, anti-Palestinian hatred. Every Jew with a weapon should go out and kill them. You have an Arab neighbor? Don't wait. Go to his home and shoot him. Like, really let that sink in. For you, if you haven't seen that, guys, this was this was the oldest living reservist that was from the IDF that was being deployed to go out and fight Hamas, we're told. Fire and strike us. Attack them without justification. Of course, you can argue that he's talking about post-October 7th, but realize this has been the sentiment since the very beginning. You get the the gist of it. That's the point. So, again, 
the Lehigh Party trying to align itself with Nazi Germany. Well, here is another clip that I wanted to play. This is from Hussein al-Wukadi. I've interviewed him, I think, at least three times. You'll find him on the website. He writes, Nazism and Zionism, the real story. Now, the interesting part about this is the history and how contradictory it is to what we pretend was the reality today. And this was a this was on a mainstream corporate news channel years and years ago. This is the 10 o'clock news with Deborah Norville. Coming out revealing secret negotiation between the Nazis and the Zionists in 1933, which allowed German Jews and their assets to go to Palestine. Which now think about that statement. So what it really comes down to is Germans, German Jews, who, knowing what was happening, wanted to save themselves and their assets. Like, so these are the Zionists who made a deal with the people who they claim they made this to be safe from, allowed that to continue to all the other Jews, but as long as they got to keep all their money and all of their possessions and control over their area at, on the backs of, of the Palestinian people, well, then that's okay. There's nothing moral, positive, anything about that. That's, that's terrorism. ...joins us tonight with the story of the controversy behind the book and the author's struggle to write it. Rich? Deborah, with the rise of Adolf Hitler to power in the spring of 1933, the Jews of the world were faced with a dilemma. They could raise a cry of protest, a cry few would heed, or they could make a deal with Hitler, a deal that would bring a step closer their dream of an independent Jewish state. American Jews marched calling for the boycott of all German exports. Jews throughout Europe echoed that call. So did Jews everywhere. But a group of Zionists at the same time was quietly negotiating an agreement with the Nazis to allow the immigration of German Jews and the transfer of their assets to Palestine. That deal, reported in August 1933, was the transfer agreement. Palestine, sparsely settled by Jews at the time, was radically changed as a result. I lived in Palestine from 1933 to 1936, and uh, we saw every... Palestine. Yeah, yeah. It ain't definitely real, right? ...week, transports of German Jews coming to settle in Palestine. German-Jewish settlement of Palestine was, for a time, official Nazi policy. These photos of Jewish life in Palestine, along with a lengthy text, appeared in 1934 in the Berlin paper Der Angry. A Nazi... And let's not forget that, that image that people try to show that they claim is Palestinians holding the Nazi flag. It's, I, I, I just did a segment on this. That, that is the Zionist organization holding that flag, but it's because they were in the place that they called Palestine, so it says Palestine. But they pretend like it never existed, so they try to argue that's Palestine. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So that's Zionists holding a Nazi flag because that's what actually happened. He visits Palestine was the title of the multi-part series. A medal was struck by Goebbels in commemoration. On one side, the swastika. On the other, the Star of David. Hitler demanded one concession for the transfer agreement, that the call for a boycott of the Reich raised by Jews here and elsewhere be rejected by the Zionists. The Zionists made that concession. And so, while Nazis were marching in Germany, and while Jews were marching here, diplomacy was running a more important story. In the Mediterranean, where the dream of a nation-state for Jewish people came a step closer to reality. The story in this book some will find hard to accept. So you've never been told what the origin of Nazi is. N.A. is uh, National Socialism, which was the German Nazis, and in 1923, um, 
there was a double agent who uh, came to Hitler, and uh, he said to Hitler, "Look, your Nazi Party is not your your National Socialist Party is not getting off the ground. You need an alliance." And he suggested that they they ally with the Zionist Party. So the NA of National Socialism joined with the Zionist Party in 19 uh, the World Zionist Party in 1923, and ever after was known as the Nazis. NAZI. The ZI was for Zionists, but of course no one knew that, because uh, our popular mythology is that the terrible Nazis uh, were attacking the Jews. But what we were never told is there was a great schism in the Jewish community of the world between the Zionists and the non-Zionists. You see, the, the non-Zionists were the Orthodox Jews who believed you could not have a Jewish state until the Jewish Messiah came. I've harped on that point so many times because the argument being that the, the groups like I show you, like Torah Judaism, are simply claiming that they're still waiting for the Messiah to return. The fact that a Zionist organization stepped into this religion and said, God says that we should have this land. Like all they did was kind of circumvent or rather hijack the direction of Judaism, believing that they were waiting for what the Zionists offered, when in reality, they're from, the, from a deeply religious perspective, they were still waiting for the Messiah to return. Not for Zionism to claim somebody else's territory and say that's theirs and that's what God gave us, which, I mean, it, it's just such a foundational manipulation. Now, I, what interests me is how they were able to pull this off. Well, I think it's, you know, per, before the internet, right? So it's interesting to me that how were they able to pull this off at a time with all the other Jewish perspectives in the world who would e easily speak up and say, well, I don't agree with that. But I think they were so politically influential and they grew that influence. We got very in-depth with a lot of other government. It just, it just became policy to which then ultimately became standard understanding over years and years of schooling and manipulation and propaganda and news. And here we are. They didn't acknowledge Christ as Messiah. So they were waiting for their own Jewish Messiah to come. Then you would have a Jewish state and that Jewish state would rule the world. But uh, the Rothschilds in 1828 decided they couldn't wait for the Jewish Messiah. So they started what they called Reform Judaism under Moses Hess. And Reform Judaism said, yes, you can have a Jewish state before the Messiah comes. And the reason you could have it was the Rothschilds had made so much money, they said, we'll buy our own state. So the Rothschilds sent uh, people out to the Middle East to, to have Jewish settlements, and uh, which is today the state of Israel totally created by the Rothschild money. And um, so Reformed Judaism then became uh, the cause of a great schism between Orthodox Jews and Reformed Jews. Now, no one has ever told you this, I'm sure, but uh, you think that uh, the Jewish community is monolithic. In fact, it's split sharply down the middle. But even today, uh, they have riots in the uh, Jewish parliament between the Orthodox Jews and the Reformed Jews. And uh, they cannot agree on anything because the basic premise is a fundamental disagreement over uh, whether a Jewish state should even exist today. So in Germany in 1923, the German Jews were quite prosperous and quite happy. And they were not interested in becoming uh, Zionists. And they were not interested in going to Palestine. After all, they had beautiful mansions in Germany. Uh, they had symphony orchestras, they had art, they had everything and they were accepted in the community. As Ezra Pound said, uh, the, uh, Germany was the least anti-Jewish uh, country in Europe. Uh, when you went over into Poland and Russia, you had very strong feeling against Jews. 
But in Germany, they were accepted and happy, so why would you ever have an anti-Jewish government in uh, Germany? And of course, Hitler, allying himself with the Zionists, he said, after all, you're right. He said, we have the same goals. And uh, so he allied with the Zionist uh, party. And the mission of the Nazis was to force the anti-Zionist Jews to accept Zionism. And this is what the concentration camps were about. They put the anti-Zionist Jews in the concentration camps, and they were placed under the direct administration of the Sonderkommandos, who were the Zionist Jews. So the concentration camps were run by the Zionist Jews in order to punish and uh, get rid of the anti-Zionist Jews, which they did. And, of course, that's a part of the Holocaust that you're never told, that uh, this was a fundamental uh, Jewish uh, disagreement, which the German people, that Daniel Goldhagen wrote a book in which he said, all Germans uh, cooperated in their anti-Jewish feeling and the Holocaust, which was not true at all. The Germans did not even know what was going on, most of them. It's just like in the United States, when we were perfecting the atomic bomb, and bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the American people knew nothing about it. It was forbidden to mention the atomic bomb. I was serving in the Air Force at that time. We never heard of any atomic mission or atomic bomb until the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. So uh, you could say the American people are guilty of the greatest atrocity, the dropping of the atomic bomb on Japanese civilians. But that isn't true. The American people knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it in the Air Force. And I was right there. So um, these things go on without the knowledge of the people or the approval of the people. But, of course, they have to accept the results. These things happen, and you're stuck with it. So this is the real story of Zionism that the Nazis... So then, well, if the... Nazis had allied with Zionists, why didn't the Nazi party survive? Well, what happened was, in 1945, after the German military was defeated, they brought in the German leaders, the German generals, at the Nuremberg trials, tried and convicted and executed them. They had to execute them because they didn't want them around to testify that the, uh, about the alliance between uh, the Nazis and the Zionists. So they had to die, and they were executed for that reason. Because, oh, they, they told about the atrocities that the uh, German generals had uh, uh, committed. But let's not forget Project Paperclip, which is a public operation these days, or Operation Paperclip, was bringing over the Nazi scientists, right? So it's interesting you chose some and not others. Add to that point. German generals are like any other generals. They don't really commit atrocities. The troops under their command may commit atrocities, but they don't commit any trustees themselves. These German generals didn't go around shooting Jews or anybody else. But uh, they were executed, and so the Zionist secret was safe. That uh, And now the Zionists were now in command of the world because uh, their National Socialist allies were now gone from history, and uh, the Zionists uh, had a free reign, so they set up the state of Israel. And in fact, some Jews themselves even claim that there should be a statue to Adolf Hitler in, uh, uh, in uh, Israel because he created the state of Israel, which is absolutely true. <laughs> Without Adolf Hitler, Israel would not exist. The Jews would still be dispersed and they would have no country. That's, it's just so interesting. And the more you understand... Now, look, you can take this with a grain of salt, right? I mean, I think the, the 
the vast majority of what he's outlining is something you can easily look up. Like we're discussing about the origin of Zionism. You just have heard a narrative around this that doesn't, that's what we accept for our entire lives. But it's just so, it, if you understand the true origins of Zionism, this is not hard to wrap your mind around. And, and the core argument, like Elon Levy is saying, is that if you even remotely suggest anything even tangential to Nazis, to Nazis or Zionism, then you're racist. And that scares people away from even considering any kind of overlap, even though we're not even talking about Jews. We're talking about Zionism. But see, there needs to be a distinction there. Otherwise, people get scared away from acknowledging the reality. But uh, George Steiner, a very famous Jewish writer, proposed this about 10 years ago. He said, why don't they put up a statue to Adolf Hitler in, in uh, uh, Israel? <laughs> well, they're not likely to. And uh, because there again, the big job of the criminals is to keep the truth from the people. They want, not only do they want you not to find out anything, but they flood you with disinformation. Most of the stuff that you get in the press is absolute lies. And if it's not lies, it's spin or distortions. In other words, they, they uh, give you 10% of the truth and the rest is all distortions. And, uh, and they demonize people so that you're filled with anger against the, uh, the Holocaust people who, who murdered all the Jews in Germany. And, um, <laughs> and people do get very angry because of these things. And, uh, they don't even know what they're angry about because they're not told the facts and never will be told the facts because the press is totally in the hands of the bankers because uh, news is a high-budget, capital-intensive operation. You need a lot of money. You need a staff covering the whole world, and uh, it's a very expensive situation. So the average truth seeker is not going to start his own television station or newspaper because... Uh, he doesn't have the $100 million that you need to even get it off the ground. So uh, we're reduced to meetings like this, which are very good. And we also, uh, God apparently was merciful on us, and he gave us the Internet. <laughs> which was very clearly a, a, a designed not to be what is used as today. Unless I'm somehow missing how what we're doing is, is adding to our own subjugation. Because clearly a DARPA project, which was the Internet, was designed to be something that I think was meant to manipulate, influence. And, you know, maybe that's the part we haven't seen yet. It's still happening, still coming. But I do think they did not foresee the kind of connectivity that we gained through it, which is not. There's obvious evidence that in many ways this has been something that has been hindered their objectives. Which is, it's just another tool, right? I think that's part of it right now. But I think we have to consider how the new technology is being applied the same way. In fact, in the States, we had this. I mean, in the sense of subjugation, like these new things are, you know, sure, there might be ways we can figure out how to use them against us. But I don't want to let them become ubiquitous to then find out a way to work against them. How about we just don't let them build these things around us should be the main point today. Total monopoly of television by three uh, television networks, which were all controlled by Zionists. And uh, so along came cable... And suddenly we had, uh, and, and you know how all these things, like, of course, somebody could very easily just be like, oh, he's racist and he's hiding behind that word. Or you could realize that this has been a narrative that's been constructed around these true overlaps, which by the way, are blatantly obvious to make you think, oh, well, if you highlight that Zionists are controlling the media, that's that old trope of Jews, in the media. Well, that's not what I said though. Right. And that becomes a play to try to get you away from the obvious reality.
I think it's just it's very clear. It's it's like any other political organization trying to influence the outcome of policy or what you see on the news. It's not racist to say the U.S. government's making propaganda on the news. So why would it be racist for the Israeli government to do so? Right. That's the real illusion. Also, all news stations and all sorts of controversial programs coming on, which, of course, the three Zionist networks would not touch with a 10 foot pole. And uh, the result was they were left behind. They now, they had 100% of the television audience, they now have 30%, and it's dropping every year. In fact, it's probably less than 30%, but they're cooking the books in order to maintain their advertising revenues to uh, give a totally false picture. Hmm. Now, we also just talked about this in our recent show, a verified CIA document, which is right here. You know, and I actually have their actually directly from the CIA.gov website, part of it right here. <clears throat> which reveals that Zionists at the time were willing to quote of their own admission, sacrifice the Jews in Arab nations for their agenda. Right. So this at the time when they were, you know, in the midst of trying to work all this out. And one of the arguments was they were willing to sacrifice the Jews over in these countries, as long as they got what they wanted. So let's keep pretending like it was about saving all the Jews, right? Either way, the point was comparing this as the picture does to the Hannibal directive and the same point today, willingness to sacrifice your own people for your own agenda. Now, here's the, here's the uh, actual document, as it would appear, and you can see it listed, Jewish. The Jewish agency is apparently willing, and this is written by the CIA, to sacrifice the Jews residing in Arab countries for the cause of their agenda. It says that the Jewish people of a whole. And this was the document, as it was posted as by the CIA in their website, co- contemplated transformation of the Haganah into army. And it, this is the part, if you can see right here, same thing willing to sacrifice the Jews residing in Arab countries. <clears throat> and then these links down here are the, the bit, the larger body of the work, which you should look at, which covered in this show. If you want to look at it, I wanted to add to this as well. And this is from the virtual library from 1977 terror out of Zion, Ergun, which is the, one of the foundational aspects of, of Zionism and the Lehi other aspect uh, and the Palestinian underground. Here's what it says. And this is talking about 1929 to 1949. <clears throat> the history, leadership, and activities of the militant Zionist underground army, the Ergun, Zavali, Limu, and other names for these part, militias and groups, are investigated as well as the activities of the Stern group or gang and the Haganah during these years. And that's the group we were referencing here, the building this into an army with the help of the CIA. Here's what it says. The Ergun, again, Zionism, was formed, one part of it at this time, but these were what became Zionism. The Ergun was formed upon, or rather, I should say, this was Zionism then, but this is what formed the what the Zionism organizations as we know it today. The Ergun was formed upon the leadership of Vladimir Jabotninsky to assume an offensive terrorist strategy against the Arabs with apparently arbitrary violence against Arab populations. Another underground Jewish terrorist group the Lahomey Haruth Israel, otherwise known as Lehi, was formed under the leadership of Abraham Stern and became to be perceived by conventional eyes as the most violent and unrestrained terrorist organization of the modern era. Whereas the Haganah acted as the underground militia and the Ergun as an underground army, Lehi focused on the assassinations of significant British officials, the most notable being the murder of British ambassador Moyne in Egypt. 
Right. So here's the CIA literally discussing the building and transformation of this. And so realize the U.S. involvement in helping this become what it did, even as they're aligning themselves with Nazi Germany. There's a whole conversation about the secret U.S. ties to the same thing. But down here, it finishes by saying, while the moderates of Zionism and Israeli officialdom viewed the violent activities of Ergun and Lehi as a moral blight on the Jewish people and destructive of efforts at peaceful resolutions of conflicts, others within Zionism viewed these groups as and their members as the most dedicated, sacrificial, and effective contributors to the Zionist cause. Now, can you guess who won out? Can you guess who's in control today? Think about it. Right, so you're talking about people at one point, as you were just hearing them discuss, who were more of the mind that we should seek peaceful resolutions. But then you've got the people that were the uh, the ones supporting the violent terrorist actions, as we're literally watching them do today. The groups like the religious Zionism party with the Ben Gavirs and the Ben, the people are lunatics. And they're openly telling you what they want to do, openly expressing their genocidal intent, knowing they're being watched. Think about that. I just want you to see that all the way back in 1929, 1949, these foundational elements, this is from the, U, the, the U.S. Justice Department. This is the U.S. government's website. They were a terrorist organization. They are today. These are dangerous elements that your government helped build while they were working with Nazi Germany, which should not make any sense to you until you realize that we've been lied to our entire lives and that now today they are still in power. Here's another clip. This was something that uh, Kim Iverson just shared too. Fact-checked, this is true. Which, by the way, you should make sure, regardless of whether I say it's true or she said it's true, do, do your own due diligence, always, because we could be wrong. But nonetheless, this clip is very real. Swedish Swedish diplomat, Folk Bernadotte, was, who personally saved 31,000 Jews from the Nazis, was shot dead by Zionist terrorists in Jerusalem. At point-blank range in 1948, after writing a UN report which basically said how he saw Palestinians devastated. Okay, so here's a guy who is at least, the, the story behind him is that he saved 31,000 Jews. And this is a group, at least the story behind it, we're supposed to think was desperately trying to create Israel to save all the Jews, right? This guy speaks up about what they're doing to Palestinians, they murder him. Which, but by the way, this is not disputable, this is the reality. It's obvious what actually happened here, the question is what the intent was. And I think that's quite obvious when you understand their history. Diplomats Camp Folke Bernadotte was appointed as UN mediator in Palestine. His mission was to seek a peaceful settlement. Count Bernadotte surveyed the devastated Palestinian villages and visited refugee camps in both Palestine and Jordan. In a report, he wrote, It would be an offense against the principles of elementary justice if these innocent victims were denied the right to return to their homes. Aha! Because that is the whole point. That's why they're after the UNRWA group. They're desperately trying to remove the records of their right to return. And, and the, the very beginning, what they saw was, was horror, murder. I mean, this is the classic, the stories of what they did to these people, the hundreds of thousands displaced, murdered, raped, robbed, tortured. I mean, horrible things. Some of the arguments they throw about what happened, in God, happened on October 7th come directly from things they did to Palestinians there. And that's been, that's openly discussed. My point is that the right to return is what this is all really about. The fact that they know the record is clear. If you look back that they're living on land that they know is legally Palestinian land, but this is where the two state solution was supposed to come to some kind of solving of the problem. 
But, but Israel made sure that didn't happen and has ever since been annihilating Palestinians with the blind complicity of the U.S. government, the U.K. It's all in the record. Hopefully that's beginning to change. On September the 17th, 1948, the day following his U.N. report, the motorcade of Count Bernadotte was ambushed in Jerusalem. He was shot at point-blank range by members of the Jewish Stern Gang. All right, Lehigh, Ergun, this, this is Zionism. Not Jewish, but Zionism. It says in World War II, Count Bernadotte negotiated the successful release of 31,000 prisoners from German concentration camps. Three years later, he was shot to death by Zionists. That's the reality. Now here is an interesting clip. Now, keeping that in mind, right? Bringing this forward, from the reality of aligning yourself with Nazi Germany at a time when they are killing people everywhere and your argument being that you're supposed to be building this to defend against that, which makes no sense, and the idea that this was an an entity that was carrying out terrorist acts, at at the time seen as the most violent and arbitrary terrorist group, right? This is directly from the United States government's post. So keeping all that in mind, it makes much more sense when you realize what Israel's done ever since rather than what their government has done under the guise of fighting. Just like the U.S. government fights under the guise of freedom and human rights, it's the same exact thing. Gee, I wonder where they get it from. Israeli spy operations revisited in the light of 9-11 case. Now, this was posted on uh, February, today, actually. Israeli, and this was the Bangladesh News. I'm not very familiar, but it says, in the wake of the tragic events of September 11, 2001, concerns over possible Israeli espionage activities within the United States have resurfaced, with a particular focus on a group of Israeli nationals detained close to the scene of the attacks. Now, I'm not sure why they're framing this like it's some kind of new topic, but the point is still to consider this in the light of really not just 9-11, but any action sense. How about during Trump's administration finding spy devices at the White House? which people kind of brushed off like no big deal, which just shows you how much control the Zionists truly have over policy. But really, I just want you to hear what this, what this clip, what he's basically discussing here. I think it's important because it just speaks to, it talks about John Pollard and speaks to the, the blatant understanding that Israel is actively doing things, which by the way, I actually, I think all these governments are always doing, but just realizing that it's so transparent and the U.S. government turns a blind eye to things like the U.S. liberty which is a quite a bit further. People say Israel is America's friend. And I want to challenge that. Now, as an American citizen, I don't think Israel is a good friend. Can you call a country a friend if they have a spy, Jonathan Pollard, who spied on America? He was an American. He was not Israeli. He took a life sentence in 1987. And just to spite the United States in 1995, Israel gave him the Israeli citizenship while he was in jail. That's a spite. And then he was released 2020 on a private jet sponsored by an American billionaire, Sheldon Adelson. And he was greeted at the airport by Benjamin Netanyahu. Okay, what about the Herzog affair, 1950-1954, where Chaim Herzog was an attache in Israeli embassy. And he was recruiting spies with American soul. And he was tipped off that the FBI is coming to him. He escaped. And how he was rewarded? Two times Israeli president 1993 and he's the father of the current president today we're dealing with isis al-qaeda and hamas this is what we're dealing with what do you know what a shock stems right from the origin the apollo affair rafi itan an israeli spy stole 206 enriched uranium from newman 
how can you call a country that committed terrorist attack, killing an American citizen in American soil, and then they fled to Israel, the JDL 1985, Alex Oda, he was Christian, Palestinian American, and he was assassinated by three members of the JDL, and they escaped to Israel, and America had not get them back because Israel does not want to deliver. How can... That happens all the time, by the way, and the idea, in the sense that Israel just ignores what, you know, it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of examples of that. Again, how about just currently realizing that Israel's bombing every day, every second right now, pretty much. And there are lots of Americans there. There's British people there. There's people from all over the world. Where are their governments? Why does it not matter that hundreds of Palestinian Americans are being killed every day they bomb? Because it, because it shows you the truth behind it all. They don't care about any of it. They, they just feel politically motivated to do it in certain cases, but they're not going to do it if it does anything against the Israeli agenda right now, which clearly they're doing this to their own detriment, like all the way, it seems. Can you call a someone who commit an attempted assassination on an American diplomat, John Gunther Dean, our ambassador in Lebanon, and he wrote it in his memoir, American did not investigate it. What is the most lethal attack on American naval vessel in history in the Middle East? USS Cole. How many people died? I don't remember, but a lot. I went and covered 17. How many people injured? 37, but that's not the most lethal. The most lethal attack on American naval vessel was USS Liberty, 9th of June, 1967. They were attacked by the Israeli army and they killed 34 American soldiers, injured 171, and they paid $6 million in compensation. This is how worth the American lives it is to them. That can we call this a friend? Yes. Of course. Of course, Cuomo says yes, right? The point is obviously the corporate media, even your pretend, now I'm new independent, but still corporate media, yeah, you you guys, you either you're just still blindly towing lines, you don't even realize it, or 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 you just aren't able to see it. But at the end of the day, you do not support somebody who's willing to murder Americans for, I mean, for for arbitrary reasons, really. Like the U.S.'s liberty was such an a gross. It what it really does highlight is the fact that Israel knew it could get away with murdering Americans, and that the American government would completely hide that from Americans. I mean, I don't know how you can't like if you can't acknowledge that, and the true the the dangerous reality behind that. I don't think you want to understand this, and I know it's it's very uncomfortable to see that. Here is an example. Here is a, me- a person from the USS Liberty. His name is Ron Gransky, speaking about his experience. He's a survivor from the USS Liberty. But of course, they'll state something completely different, even though he was literally there. Uh, alive, alive from uh, the USS Liberty. Uh, I served on that ship in uh, 1967 when it was attacked by the Israelis, uh, supposedly by accident. And neutral waters off the Sinai Peninsula. 34 of my crewmen were killed and 171 wounded. Uh, it's now 50 years later. I'm still alive and it's Memorial Day. And I always think about the men who died. And I still see some of the crewmen. Uh, we were attacked by um, Mirage jets. They strafed us and dropped napalm. Napalm. And there was four torpedo boats, Israeli torpedo boats, circling us, and they fired five torpedoes total. One hit. We had a hole in the side of the ship, 50 feet by 30 feet roughly. Uh, We had, for weapons on our ship, 50 caliber machine guns, two forward and one uh, 
two midship. Right. Just speak what, what Kay- Kaylee says in the chat. Apparently, she saw a clip where Ben Shapiro calls this a conspiracy theory. Of course he does. I hope that guy loses all respectability or, or influence he's ever had based on this one conversation. Just like Caitlin Johnstone said, you're exposing yourself to, at the very least, be compromised on this topic. If not, who else knows? You know, God only knows what else. You can't pretend this guy was there. And he's not the only one. There was a guy I covered a while back who was on one of those freedom flotillas. Right? He, he was another one. And not only was he on the OSS Liberty, he got arrested or got basically kidnapped by the Israeli government at the time because he was on this flotilla, which isn't breaking any laws. And they held him and arrested him, put him in jail for weeks. Not, not only did they do nothing, they didn't even spoke, speak about it. He was an American citizen who was arrested by the Israeli government and they never even spoke about it. Conspiracy theory. <laughs> How embarrassing. All the men in those, those gun miles were killed. And uh, our torpedo, the torpedo hit in the communication spaces. And many men died wounded from there. Uh, supposedly by an accident. I don't believe it was an accident. Well, it's, it's provably not an accident because you don't accidentally do that many things in a row. Right. You don't fire on the ship, then drop napalm, then bomb on top. It's, it's provably not an accident. And even the dynamics of the of the communications prove that this was a cover up. It's just no way around it. And your government covered up the Americans deaths by the Israeli military all the way back then. Can you can you imagine what's happening now? We intercept a lot of messages that Israel had sent and. Um, some that uh, were highly classified at time at the time, and were further were, were sent further to our government, who in turn acted or didn't act on what we said. And uh, I know the Israelis. Uh, this is my opinion. Uh, planned the attack on us, and they know it too. And uh, hey. I believe our government knows it too. So. Anybody wants to do anything about it, you know right where I live. And if not, that's my story. I'm sticking. It's just sad, you know. This is a guy who literally put his life in the line for this government and realized they didn't care if he lived or died. You know, I mean, that changes you as a person. Now, in that same context, think about what that what's happening to Palestinian children right now. What do you think terrorist bombings of their family, watching their their mother, their dead pregnant mother give birth to a baby on the de- dirty sidewalk when a hosp- a, a, a doctor happens by, give, you know, we talk, in case you just tuned in, the point is that a doctor from the UN was admi- admitting they did cesareans on dead pregnant women eight times already in this whole process because they just get murdered by bombings and the baby's still alive. My point is to think about what that's doing to these Palestinian children or families let alone a person in the military. Like this is, you pretend that's not going to turn them into people who will act in violence, especially knowing that protected under the international law is acting in violence against the occupier. Here is what Torah Judaism points out about the point we made this whole time. They say, we stand with Palestinian people. Israel does not represent Jews. Israel is not the state of the Jews. Our hearts are shattered over the loss of so much innocent life. It pains us to the core how this is all carried out in the name of Jewish people. We want peace. We want to live in harmony, like our grandparents did for centuries before Zionism. May God lift up the broken, heal the injured, finally bring peace upon peace to his world. And showing them just wearing Palestinian stuff. 
and then I'll play this clip again because it's important if you didn't see it in the beginning. This is an older clip. I think this was uh, is a political Howard, Howard University philosophy. Now, which... I, can't, I don't I can't remember. This says 1995. And I'm wondering if this is from I don't think this is from 1995 or this is when this was posted. I'm not sure. It's definitely an old clip, but the way it looks really old is hard to tell. But it says 1995 at the top left. Either way, Howard University speaking about his opinion on Zionism has brought about the state of Israel. Zionism is a political philosophy which has brought about the state of Israel, the so-called state of Israel. This, this political philosophy has nothing to do with religion. On the contrary, it seeks to confuse others and let them think that Zionism and Judaism is one and the same. I am a conscious African. I know properly my history. I know that Africa gave Judaism to the world. I know that the first Jews in the world were Africans. Not only do I know this, but I inform everyone who has doubts about it to read a book by Sigmund Freud entitled Moses and Monotheism as a beginning. Consequently, I know that Judaism and Zionism are not the same. Zionism had its first organizational expressions in 1897 in Bath, Switzerland, in Europe. Here was a man by the name of Theodor Herzl, H-E-R-Z-L. He was the founder of Zionism. He said that he was going to find the state that God promised the Jews. Listen to this very carefully. This man, Herzl, was an atheist. He had believed that there was no God. He said God did not exist. Now, how is it that the man who believes that God does not exist is going to find a state that God promised to his chosen people? Well, you know, because we just went over it. Because it's a misrepresentation. And they've been abusing and lying to Jews and everybody else in the world ever since their inception. A man who doesn't even believe in God tells him that tells the world that God told him that they are, you know, whatever he framed it as, that God says this is our territory. It's based on an illusion. I tell you, this man is Satan in disguise. Zionism is a satanic movement. It is devil. It is imperialism. It is racist. It has gone and taken the lands of the Palestinian people and through terrorism has driven them out. And through terrorism, it maintains its power. And the United States of America, with over six million homeless, sends to Israel billions and billions and billions of dollars everywhere to bomb Palestinian people. Still to this day. While homeless people are here and unemployed are here, Zionism is going to raise this war and make the people of America become clear to what it is and become anti-Zionist and stop the aid to Israel and use the money to take care of the homeless in this country. Now, whether you think homeless or whatever else, the point is, you know as well as I, there's a lot of people in need in this country. And yet billions and billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars fly out of this country. They're trying to send tens of billions more right now. I, it's just, I don't know why people don't realize how insulting that is. I know a lot of people do. I think most do, but I know a lot that are still trying to wrap their mind around, you know, why we're all being so racist about Israel. And I just think you're listening to what they're, the narrative around that. Now, the bottom line is it's certainly, you know, it's certainly possible that we're wrong. I'm wrong about this. That's always possible. Always consider that. But I hope regardless of whether you think I'm wrong to, for, to assume that there's an, in, an intent of negative hatred behind this. You know, like, say, say I'm wrong. That's one thing. But to pretend that this is secret hate for anything is just a, a wholesale lie, right? It's completely whole cloth. Like, you're just arguing that this is all some secret con concoction because I secretly hate Jews. Like, I just don't get where that even comes from other than a place of dishonesty. You know, see what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's so in, in alarming. But I really believe part of that's what's shaking people free from this right now. Now, here's my point on the end of this segment. Right. So right now we, we went over all of that, that the history, the coordination, the, the use of these arguments to hide people who are just fighting for independence and whatever else. But there's a lot of people who are trying to go out of their way. 
And I think this is from a place either of desperate manipulation, like from a Zionist perspective, or that they just are played themselves, acting like you're not Jewish unless you support the Zionist agenda. Now, what is that if not a clear Zionist game, right? Right from the very beginning, the same thing they did then. So here we have an example of this across the board where people like Ben Shapiro, which is one of the examples, coming out and saying, you're not Jewish because you think Zionism is bad, or you're not Jewish because you support Palestinian independence. Like crazy stuff. Blake Fayton, Flayton here says, when I tell people I'm Jewish, I also proactively say that Amanda is an a-hole and not one of us. Because she says, when I tell people I'm Jewish, I also proactively say that I'm anti-Zionist. Zionism is, even if you think Zionism is like somehow part of it, like, are you pretending Zionist that Zionism is the only form of Judaism? Like, think about the hubris around that. Because it's simply not true. Obviously, there's plenty of Jewish organizations that don't agree with Zionism. But so now if you don't agree with Zionism, you're just not Jewish anymore? Like, doesn't is that not screaming desperation or just, the, or maniacal control? It's, it's just alarming to me how people can't see, I, again, or that they all do, and people were being lied to by our governments, but those that can't, I can't believe you can't see through that. Here's another example. Ben Shapiro, the one I've shown you many times. This was right at the beginning. Of, you know, post-October 7th, anyway. The group Jewish Voices for Peace. Jewish Voice for Peace, that's right. Simply there, in the Capitol, chanting, clapping, you know, peacefully protesting, even though some of these ridiculous clowns said it was an insurrection, simply doing the same thing in reverse, which makes them complete cartoonish. You know, like think about how dumb that is to scream forever about how they're using, claiming January 6th was an insurrection, even though it wasn't. Clearly, we all know that. And then calling this an insurrection, like you are the, you are the epitome of stupidity right there. Or you're part of the agenda. You choose. Either way, the point is not an insurrection, Simply saying, we want a ceasefire. That's what it says. Jews say ceasefire now. He says, useful idiots for Hamas. Now, you could give him that, even though that's really stupid to pretend that ceasefire, which applies to both sides, is only one-sided. That's just, you're just being dishonest. We all know that. But let's give him, pretend he thinks that. Plus, these trash people don't know how to wear the Jewish garb. In his opinion, apparently. The point, nonetheless, is that you call them trash because you, they disagree with you or because they wear their garb in the wrong way? Like, it just shows you where the real Jew hatred is. I'm not hating on anybody. Now, some people hate Jews or black people or whatever else or, or Chinese people just because they're bad people. Some of them hate only certain kinds of their own people because they're a crazy Zionist. Either way you look at this, guys, he is the epitome of what he pretends we all are. And when I stand here and say, I want a ceasefire, and he calls me somebody who's racist or however that game goes, acknowledge the real racism, the real hatred. And especially even the ones that they would call like a self-hating Jew for claiming we fight, we're sporting Palestine. Like that's the reality of it right there, which again is an inversion of the reality. You're hating other Jewish people because they politically disagree with you. You're gross, man. That's disgusting. And I said he attacks and denigrates the Jews protesting below who dare to simply call for a ceasefire. You know, since they apparently care about the, at the time, over 1,000 children. We're, we're past 14,000 at this point. So I'm sure Ben Shapiro's okay with the other 13,000 children that have been killed because he doesn't agree with their stance. Here's Joe Roberts saying, I'm not sure if y'all are aware of this, but Israelis are human beings too. <laughs> right? Like, 
Who the hell is arguing otherwise, man? People who like this game about framing an entire conversation as you only hate this one thing, even though nobody's saying that it's just exhausting. And again, I actually think it's not working in their interest. I think they're pushing people away with this, but it says they are worthy of compassion, empathy. Yeah. Human beings are man. That's what anybody is saying on this side, on the side of independence, ceasefire, whatever people in these crowds marching are saying human beings deserve peace, not only Palestinians. But on the other side of this, it's all about, don't talk about that, only talk about Israelis. How about us? How about one day over here? How about only this thing? How dare you talk about anything else? That's Zionism. That's what we're talking about there. Because as I'll point out, there's an, a whole lot of Israelis, a whole lot of Jewish people, a whole lot of everybody else who are pointing out what Israel's doing. But I said, you're right in regard to that they're human beings too. And many of them show this every day, I said, right now, by speaking out about and standing up to extremist Zionists com committing genocide in their name. Interestingly enough, the very same ones that you attack. <laughs> he didn't like that. But this person says, where? Where are the Jews against this? Please provide proof. I mean, do it really? How about Jewish voices for peace? Oh, it's not in this tweet, but, you know, endless amount of examples. But this person responds by saying Jews who oppose Israelis' atrocities are dismissed by the like of Joe Roberts as not Jewish. And there's your perfect game. Where are these Jews? Point them out. Well, they're not because you claim they don't exist because if they are, they're not Jewish. How embarrassing. And how hate, what that's racism, that's hatred. Now, Middle East Eye points out Ofer Rosenbaum a controversial Israeli PR figure and founder of the Civilian Front Organization gave a speech to a large crowd in Jerusalem where he said, the new Jew looks at his enemy with the whites of his eyes and then takes his head off. That's what he said. Now, here's what I think about this. I think this is an effort very clearly to create the very thing. I forget that. I think it was Afir was the guy's name who made that great post about how what there some elements of this at the very least are trying to create is the both in the minds of Jewish people in Israel, but also just in the minds of other people outside of it, feeling that one, or specifically from the Jews inside of Israel, they want they're trying to convince them that they are desperately at risk and the only safe place in the world is in Israel, as well as simultaneously manufacturing hatred towards them in order to create the dynamic that gives them the power over everything they're dealing with. Now that you could disagree with that, but it's a logical point. It could be the case. And I think interestingly here, what, I'll play this clip for you. Oh, technically, it's a yeah. It, there's I'll play it so you can see the motions and his mannerisms. But it's in it's in subtitles. It's a very aggressive milit militant. It looks like an IDF member who is simply saying not about IDF members, not about Zionists, not about anything other than Jews. So the new Jewish person apparently in this new Israeli focused genocide pro genocide world doesn't just you know meet your eye but takes your head off like basically making it about violence and about aggression and about why because they're all so dangerous so much danger and so much hatred and everyone's out to get them that they're simply going to attack first well the first part's not true this idea that anti-semitism is overwhelming like this is a manufactured lie yes there's racism but as far as i could tell it's actually quite smaller than it is in any other category we talk about now you could tell me i'm wrong and maybe i am but it is not what they're presenting and I, you, what do I do if not continually research this stuff? But please look into it for yourself. You show me where you can prove outside of the obvious where they're using pro-Palestinian discussions and marches and framing them as racist that there is any increase in what they're talking about. I mean, this is as stupid as pretending that the OK symbol means hatred or white power. It's a game to manipulate you. 
But I think what this is really about, like I said before, from a Zionist perspective, is creating that momentum to put someone out there that is a framing it as a Jew who's acting in violence because you are all, what you're going to do is create resentment intentionally, but it'll be misplaced because it won't be the Zionist agenda who's actually driving this. People, if they're blinded by this, will direct it towards the person who he is framing it toward, the Jew, in regard to him personally. But then take it out to an idea that it's that's what they're all doing. You see my point? This is a manipulation. Now, you can clearly see why so many people are afraid to dive into this conversation because there's going to be an endless string of people trying to misrepresent what I'm saying. But you tell me that this person is not acting in a very militant, belligerent way based on what? The Israelis are committing a genocide. The Israelis have been committing an, a, a brutal occupation, rape, theft, murder, displacement over and over for 75 plus years. That's not to say that there haven't been things that have happened to Israelis, obviously. I mean, we're not, I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about Israelis here, not Jews at large. But before that in general, you could point out different. Like overall, my point is simply that this is seemingly unjustified from the perspective of what we're currently living through. And that in and of itself will create resentment. Here's what he here, here's the vision of what he was doing. Because remember the subtitles, I'll try to read. He says, what, what, is, what is this concept of a frightened and exilic Jew? Who thinks that? I, I don't know anybody that thinks that. He says, Do you do you do we need to ask permission from the world for what? For all the rights you already have and for all the actions you can already take? This is very militant. People out there getting charged up to, to what? To react in violence when you perceive someone to say something you don't like? What is he actually talking about here? He's talking to a crowd full of civilians. He says, hello, Gaza. We started talking Arab. We started talking Arabic. This should have been the, the work plan. This new Jew that we are talking about. Before he takes his head off. Now, that doesn't even imply violence. That doesn't even imply that you're being attacked. It almost implies a very surreptitious, you know, through deceit, we will wage war, the paraphrasing of the Mossad mantra, which is a legitimate motto of the Mossad. Through deception, we wage war. So what are you, you're, you're basically saying like you're standing close to somebody and then you're attacking them. Like, you know, either way, the point is clearly, this is about framing it as because you're so hated, because you're so attacked, because everyone in the world's out to get you, we're going to start acting more, you know, that's the, that's the way it's being presented. It's based on a manipulation. But what do you think this is going to do? One, it's going to cause random Jewish people who believe this to start acting in a more, at least contentious, maybe violent way under the guise that it's justified. And, and try to convince them it's not. But that is a Zionist manipulation and it will, it will ultimately be framed as Jewish people acting this way. Even though it's not really what's happening. It's a, like the U.S. and individuals here. <laughs> The Gazan problem, right? Not, not Hamas, Palestinians, Gaza. There's only one force will be answered with much more force. Yeah. 
תזכרו שהסכמים עושים אך ורק עם אויבים. I'm curious what it says right there that's been blacked out. With defeat. מובסים. I mean, this is, it's just alarming to me. What that is putting forward. It is, this is a desperate effort to drive this into, I mean, look, if you can create a dynamic where people are going out of their way and you, let's say you genuinely create some massive, you know, terrorist acts against Jews in other parts of the world, just all of a sudden, or maybe you manufacture that. Either way, the point is this will end up creating the narrative that Israelis use, specifically the Zionist government, to make this about something other than their ongoing genocide. That's the only thing that seems to matter. World War three I mean whatever what it's this is getting de- more desperate by the day and I think that's what a lot of this is about but my point is this is how Zionism is manipulating the entire situation creating a situation where they use the Jewish religion as some sort of barrier between the world and what they're actually doing now on the note of absolute propaganda the continuation of lie after lie after lie after lie here's another one It's just incredible. This guy just keeps doing this. President Herzog holds up a Palestinian children's book found, he claims, by the IDF in a Gaza home entitled The End of the Jews. The book cover depicts swords and daggers piercing through stars of David and Jews drowning in a sea of blood. Chapter title includes the world's burning hatred. For... Okay, so just blindly take a face value based on a couple of pictures, but that's, that's how Eviva does her work. Just believe me, because Israel says, but here's an interesting point. Guess what? He lied. During the Munich Security Conference, this is when he presented this, Israeli's President Herzog showed a book called The End of Jews, claiming it was found in a house in Gaza. He claimed the book is authored by Hamas leader and co-founder of, uh, and, and co-founder by Dr. Mahmoud al-Zahar. However, even according to Israeli media, and you can look this up for yourself, the book was authored by a man called Abu al-Fida Muhammad Aref, not Hamas. It was first published in the 90s and printed in two Arab countries, which did not include Palestine. Every time he says he found something in Gaza, it turns out to be a, flame, a massive lie over and over and over. And the point is, this guy is not part of Hamas. He's not even affiliated with Hamas. And even Israeli media has pointed that out. I mean, this is my point about this. Do you? Th- I think they must know that somebody's going to point that out. I think at this point, this is so desperate. It's about winning just anybody else over all of us that are pointing out their lies they know we're already going to pick through it no matter what this is about just trying to inch a few more people who might blindly see this and move over that's what i think because it's just embarrassing you think we can't look this up right you think we can't do like look this ridiculous stuff a copy of mein comp found in children's bedroom in gaza which is completely unsubstantiated or how about this Oh, actually, I forgot I was going to play that first. We'll come back to it. You know, here are some chemical weapons instructions. Nope, nope. That's a book cover that we can look up on Google, on Amazon or on, on a, what's the book? Thing? Anyway, on, on Amazon Books or whatever. You can look this stuff up. But he claimed it was chemical weapons instructions in written in English, mind you. It's so stupid. They never brought it up again. Not once. Because they're lying. And they knew it. It was just about, did it work? Did we win a few people over? Okay, move forward. I, and this, I, this guy just doesn't care about his reputation, I guess. The point is they've lied after lie after lie. Here's another one. Top secret Hamas documents about, you know, remember they've done this so many times I didn't even include them all. This is just a random, I mean, when, you, when you broke this down, it turned out to be another lie. How about the one about step one, two, three instructions on how to rape people? Like, it's just unrealistic. But they, this is how stupid they think you are or indicative of how bad the propaganda has always been. 
And it's just their influence over politics that allowed this to be at least perceived to be as, as influential as it might have been. Well, the point about this was to show you, look, okay, so they keep trying to really push the idea. And this is my point about how when they say we're only going after Hamas, but then in every other breath, try to give you insinuation that all of them are bad or all Hamas or all, even though he already said publicly, nobody in Gaza is innocent. He said that right in the first week, which is one of the things they brought up at the genocide convention. But the point is they want you to think they're all secretly Jew haters because they're all bad, even though, no, no, we're all trying to save them. Well, it's over and over. I think that's what these things are meant to do. Look, they support Hitler, even though Zionism literally worked alongside Hitler. Who cares about the facts, though? But it's important to realize that most of what they show you, even though, as I've said, you're going to find elements of this because that's what they're trying to manufacture. My point is that most of it, nonetheless, is still lies. So it shows you that it's not even remotely as pervasive as they want you to think it is, even though you can find some examples. But they'll show you things like, here's a book that was, it turns out, was, you know, made by someone they lied about. Or in other cases, a puzzle they show you that you can't actually prove was even where they found it. Or the fact that it's when you really look at the information on it, it doesn't even show what they pretend that it does. My point is, it's always a manipulation. But here's an example, and you will find an endless amount of it. Just look up Abby Martin's work, literally talking to Israelis about their perception of any Arab. And you'll find out very quickly that they're teaching from a young age anybody who will listen exactly what they pretend is being taught in Gaza, in reverse anyway. Do you take nice Jewish boys and girls and turn them into monstrous killers of children when they reach 18? It takes a very... Meaning the IDF. ...long, thorough and sophisticated education to do that. And that was my question, you know. How do you do that? How come, you know? And uh, uh, we have an organization called Breaking the Silence where uh, soldiers confess what they did mm -hmm. in the West Bank. And many of these confessions, in many of these confessions, the soldiers say, I was educated to believe that whatever I do to the Palestinians will save us from another Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And only when I aimed my rifle at a little girl, I realized that I was the evil one. And we just played a clip for you, I think, on the last show of a guy, I think it might have been RT, I forget, speaking on the record, saying it wasn't until it wasn't until he was, you know, confronted with the children that they were shooting and that he really realized. I mean, again, I'm kind of shocked that it took that far for you to realize that. But either way, they're propagandized in a really aggressive way. Think about that kind of framing, right? That if you don't act in cruelty towards these Arabs who want to kill you, that we're all going to die in a Holocaust again. Like, think about that kind of mentality for a child. It, it brainwashes them. And then I stopped. So this education is so entrenched. It's really, you know, Richard Dawkins um, hated religion and he called religion mind infection. But I think this is mind infection. Ideologies can be mind infected. And they are so infected with it that in um, the dehumanization of Palestinians, uh, especially, is so strong that it's very hard for people, especially young people, to get rid of that and to see these people as human beings. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have another clip as well. This is an interesting one. It's not that, it, this is kind of old, actually. I remember this, it wasn't that old, but basically this is an interesting overlap. This is a guy on the street speaking of his own accord, which, by the way, the same thing that happens every day from all sides of the paradigm, or even people not in it, they will take one clip and say, here's what Palestinians think. So we shouldn't be ridiculous like that. 
This is one guy. He's an Israeli Jew, and he has opinions to express. It should not mean anything other than what he thinks, or, or, or that this is something that was taught to him through the kind of where he grew up in, in Israel and the things they teach them and the mindset of some Israelis. And again, I can otherwise show you that there is a huge, this is a prominent opinion, but nonetheless, don't immediately broad stroke this like we would see in reverse. You know, one Palestinian says this, therefore they all think that. It's just this mind, it's what happens in the two-party paradigm, as we all know. But this clip is about suggesting that, well, because you don't believe what I believe, I can kill you. And makes it clear about Christians, anybody else, which is what the reality is in his perspective of what the teachings are in his Torah. That's what he's referencing. Now, I'll make a point about that in a second. I don't think that's necessarily, like, my point is that there, you could find these examples in any of these books, the Bible included, which are, in a way, pr promoting violence, but in a certain context. But my point is, most of us understand today that these things are very old concepts that speak to a different time and that we look at it as, oh, nobody really does that anymore. Same with the Quran, same with, with any of these conversations. But there's also people in all of them that do believe it. They do act on it. Now, I argue Zionism is an aspect of Jude, is a manipulation of Judaism that asks, that uses and leans into these extremist elements. Just like you can argue people have done that with Christianity in the past, right? That's kind of simple to understand. My point would be this isn't, shouldn't be an indictment of anybody who believes in Judaism, but specifically some concepts. And what he believes here, it simply shows you that it's an easy way for Zionists to manipulate this mindset to justify murdering anybody who isn't of their mindset, which is racism, hatred. It's, it's bigotry. That's what they pretend they're fighting. Let me just, before you continue talking, you're going to go to jail because the police here. When I should give you some context. So this is a guy preaching Christianity, essentially. And, and this guy comes up to him and basically says, one, it's illegal. And two, that basically I have the right to kill you. 99% We don't do anything illegal. You cannot take us to jail. If you are not involved, please go. Shalom, my friend. We bless you. You're in my country. You come to the United States, you can say whatever you want to say. That is the free world, yes? You're not in the United States. You're in Israel. I understand. You cannot say whatever you want to say here. Okay, so great. First off, just recognize, no, you don't have free speech, or you can't say whatever you want. <laughs> Only democracy in the Middle East, right? Yes, you can. It's legal. We it is Damascus. legal to preach about Yeshua. We preach at Damascus Gate. The police said it's okay. We preach at Jaffa Gate. The police say it's okay. Please stop. I respect you. Respect me. Huh? He said, I don't have to respect you. That is the right thing. Are you Jewish? Do you want to honor God? That is the godly thing to do. We respect one another. So he'll say it again. But he so he said the godly thing. The Christian is saying, and it shouldn't be Christian versus Jew. It's a guy who believes in you know not murdering people and says, look, the, you know, godly thing to do would be to you know, be kind to each other. And he said the godly thing to do would be to kill you. That's what he literally said in response. The godly thing is to kill me. That's right. That's yes? what the Torah says. The Torah says to kill us. The Torah says that I don't, uh, people who worship idols such as yourself, when they're... Well, there's the interpretation. You could argue that worshiping Christianity or, God, you know, Jesus Christ is an idol, that would, therefore, that you can kill him or not. My point would be that a lot of, you know, peacefully minded Jew, people that practice Judaism would argue that that's not the case. My point simply that this is how you can interpret it. Either way, you've given the opening and you've taken it. So that's indicative of who you are, not because you believe in this religion. You chose to acknowledge, that, okay, well, I could kill you if I want to because that's what I believe. But that's disgusting. It doesn't matter what religion you think you have. That is racism. That is because you're, you know, you're not what I practice. Therefore, you're the other.
and Zionism leans into that. There's a Sanhedrin yourself. Idol, uh, people who worship idols such as yourself. When there is a Sanhedrin. To kill us. Yes. Okay. That's what the Torah says. So we know how the Jewish people feel about Christians, yes? That you Christians discriminate are, against Christians. Christians are idol worshippers. You discriminate the against Torah Christians. The Torah says that Christianity is idol worship. Let me now, again, I don't believe that is what all Jews think. I mean, that's provably not the case, as we can show you from Torah Judaism, who speaks out about the fact that this is about, that the foundational concept is about peace. And, you know, so it's all about the way you interpret this stuff. But nonetheless, my point is that Zionist mentality drives that kind of thinking. And that's what we see. And then it causes people like this guy to suddenly begin to think, well, this is what Jews think. But it's not. Not all-encompassing. You see my point? And that is how this begins. In over 75 years, people develop this mindset that's misplaced and direct. Now, you, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you disagree. But I think it's very clear that Zionism is the culprit behind all of this. And I just, oh, I already pointed this out. You know, this is people pointing out this is another one of these ridiculous manipulations. It's a document about child soldier boot camps, <laughs> which, by the way, you can prove Israel does on a regular basis, but they just call it something else. Now, yes, you can show Hamas in different circumstances, arming, you know, with the playing with their, you know, the children dressed like Hamas members, like you can see children dressed like the IDF, but only one is bad. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Nonetheless, we also have to consider that Israel has been funding Hamas for a while, and that may or may not be something that they influence. You have to consider it in that light. It's just fair to acknowledge, right? But there's also this one, right? The chemical weapons instructions that, oh, and this one where he made his big statement that Shawnee Luke was found beheaded. And they were like, oh, no, wait, actually, there was a piece of her head. No, it was just a piece of a bone. Oh, wait, no, it was a sliver of a bone that we tested. And it turns out they couldn't. It, it was a ridiculous the way the story went forward. Turns out all they actually found was apparently a sliver of a bone, which I don't know how that can translate to the sliver of a bone means she's dead, which is what they argued. And even if that's even true, who knows? I still think it's provable that the, where they took her, remember the first story, they took her to the hospital in Gaza. Newsweek. Discussed that. They broke that story. The mom said she's still alive. She went to the hospital, which immediately undermined the allegation that she somehow was, you know, why would they take her to the hospital? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Took her to the hospital when I think she was shot by the IDF, which is what most of these happened. And then they bombed that hospital, guys. I proved this with the timeline. They bombed the hospital. People died in the hospital because they ran out of all the things that she was unconscious. She probably died in that hospital, which they then went on to make up all sorts of stories like they've been doing with the Bebas family and a lot of the others using these people for their agenda. Here's another example of lies. Here's this, this account. It was not even really a news account, but they almost have a million followers at this point. It's called Visgrad 40. It's like one of the worst propaganda platforms for Israel. This was on the 17th of February. It says, breaking, the Israeli army has blown up the UNRWA headquarters in the Gaza Strip, which I kept been able to prove whether or not that actually happened. Because remember, the, the headquarters don't look anything like what they're showing here. That's, that's the lie. But nonetheless, this account, this account said it. We blew it up. It is the building where Hamas had 700 tunnels. No, you didn't. That was it proven to be a lie. Even the corporate media, just like Lashifa, called this out. And remember, this was the, the, the image. And we've seen, I've, seen, I've seen this image, and it's being blown up, presented at least three different times. As a university, now as UNRWA, as a hospital. And every time I'm like, well, I've seen that before, so I didn't really lean into it. So this account going, you know, we're on a million followers, right? Guess what? They changed it. Didn't update it. Didn't say a word about it. Just quietly changed it. Because you can edit it these days, right? Now, you can see the edited version and see it. 
but nobody corrects anything. They just quietly change it. Guess what? Oh, no, excuse me. It's a UN school in a totally different area that was happened happened in November. Are you serious? What a joke. Like, so all it really is, is this person shared it because Israeli media, or rather propagandists shared it. I, I forget which one. I didn't, I couldn't find the original, but this went around just before, I think it was, this is on the 17th that they updated it. The 15th. Or no, excuse me. Oh, that's what I, okay, here it is. Okay, so this was the 15th, so I just got mixed up on it. So my point, so this started with this. This guy, who remember, he's got, this guy is one of the lead in regard to the propaganda war. Hananya Neftali. One of the guys, by the way, that originally posted about the Ali hospital being bombed by Israel, but then they changed the narrative and deleted it and said something else, and they, you know, just hid the story, right? Even though they bombed every hospital since, but totally fake news. They're lying to you, but literally everything all the time because it's all about the narrative. But he posts on the 15th saying, breaking, UNRWA headquarters taken down. Now, he knows that's not true. They must know that's not the place because he's already posted about this building before. As somebody points out, and even the reader context says, nope, that was demolished in November. Not, not what you're claiming it is. But as, sorry, I've just got this backwards. But as Tal Hagen points out, well, here he is pointing, claiming anyway that they destroyed the Parliament building, which I don't think was the Parliament building either. This was on. Oh, there's no date on the image, but this this he this is what he posted back then. We talked about it at the time, and then he posts again. On the fifteenth, claiming it's UNRWA. Now, do you think see, there's only one of two things here? A few things. Right, Either this is deliberately trying to seed misinformation so people cover it and they're wrong, or they're lying about everything that just doesn't matter. Like, you didn't even check it. Somebody get, send this, share that, we don't care, right? And my point on top of that is that this news platform with over a million followers just shared it without any due diligence, citing this other account with just as many followers almost, with, with no due diligence whatsoever, and then just quietly changes it. Oops, we made a mistake. No acknowledgement. Because they're blindly following the Israeli propagandist. That's what they're doing, guys. We must understand that. And in the same light, here is Mr. Propagandist Eli David doing the same damn thing. This is the UNRWA headquarters. Is it, though? Sorry for the typo. This was their headquarters. Ha, ha, ha. How gr- these people are n- disgusting. Like the worst things I've ever had to deal with in my life. Like the, the laughing about the the fact, and they're lying about it. They're they're faking this in regard to what they're showing anyway. Laughing about it. He didn't update it. Didn't change it. Now, anyway, the point overall was that they're lying about this, and they just don't care. So I I don't know whether they've even blown up the building itself. Let me know if you found any indication of that. My point is that they just repeat whatever. And these are like the lead propagandists. Million followers on this account. Seven hundred thousand on the other. Eli David has. 500, almost 600,000 followers. Have not, this guy, 415,000. Like, you realize the influence they have? And they're just sharing whatever. They just don't care. They're lying about damn near everything. And I still think it's kind of incredible that he already did this about the other building. Now, I, I forgot. I, if I should have looked this up. Really, well, can't, let's do it real quick. It's already going to be a long show. Let's do just Parliament. Let's see. So if you don't remember how to do this, there's an easier way, I think, actually, but I've been doing this for such a while. You have to type a letter in or anything in front of a search. Hit advanced search. 
Is that how you spell it? Am I, am I crazy? Oh, forgot the A. So here is you type in uh, his name and then the search word. Let's see if it pops up. Maybe deleted it. Nope, there it is. Sure enough. Same glad I did that. I just forgot to do it before. So here he is right here. This is him saying, Israeli army destroyed the Hamas parliament in Gaza November 15th. And here's what it says down here. It has been confirmed by Israeli and other media that the parliament building in Gaza has been destroyed, but the building shown in this video is another building. So it's not even the parliament building. Like, what is actually happening here? Are, is it, again, is this deliberately trying to seed misinformation so people look bad? Or are they just so lying about everything that really just doesn't matter? It's really fascinating to me. I'm going to post this under here. You lie about everything. Just in hopes that people see this, you know, like the somebody who is actually honest, who believes David might, or Eli might be trying to inform them. It's crazy. Now, lastly, on this point, you know, it's just funny with things like this. It's like, I just want to fixate on it. Like, I just want to, I just feel like we need, how incredibly obvious is that? I want, just, I don't know how you get it. Get it in front of people, please. So embarrassing. Now here, Cuts News Network also points out another manipulation. And this just never ends. And you must realize this is not unique to one or two of them. These are leaders across the board in the Zionist government that are lying about everything. Backlash on social media and calls to expel Israel's ambassador to Belgium. Let's not forget, Belgium was the place where they spoke up and said, we're going to keep funding UNRWA. And then that very day, Israel bombed their Gaza building. <laughs> and, and even as really Times of Israel covered it, nobody in the corporate media in the West covered it. Who cares, right? War crimes are small potatoes today for Israel. Who cares? But the ambassador to Belgium, after she incited hatred against Muslims in Belgium, you know, the very thing that they're seeding everywhere right now, under the guise that they're all invading everybody. This is a very right-wing narrative, which, by the way, is a partly, th you could see that there's weaponized actions of this. But as I've always said, whether it's the Mexico side or anything, to immediately begin to, to put that hatred on the individuals, well, it's the same dynamic with Zionism and the Jews. You're allowing them to trick you into to falling for that trap. Most of these people are being used by whoever's driving them. In this case, the idea of creating hatred toward these Muslims because of what's going on in refugees, is that because they're, is that because of her narrative or because you actually, or, you know, either way, you can't place this hatred towards an entire group of people who are simply fleeing the belligerent foreign policy of these governments. Consider that it might be part of their plan, the larger bot, or some of them might be, in, you know, but to just pretend like they're all terrorists trying to, it's, it's, it's disgusting. And I think that's the two-party game right there is it's all or nothing, right? It's always somewhere in the middle. In Belgium, she incited hatred against Muslims by sharing a footage of what she said was a, well, it was, what it was, a Muslim preacher reciting verses from the Quran. Very benign. What she lied about and said she, what they were doing is recruiting a surha about a battle in between Muslims and the Jews and literally called for the killing of taking captives of Jews. It's a complete manufactured lie. Simple Quran verses, nothing what she said, but she stood up and said it anyway. And this is my point. Knowing that there would be Muslims who would know that's not true, knowing that they would speak out about that and just didn't care. I mean, just, again, I just, I don't know how, I don't know, it blows me away. It really does. Even though I know how surreptitious this all is, that, that either that's how desperate it is or just, the lack of concern, or rather the belief that we have no ability to influence anything.
and use that to make hatred against people based on a lie. Well, let's talk about lies in a, in a reverse way. Remember, we just talked about this one. Elon Levy discussing how we were just delivering these few, these oxygen tanks to a hospital that we were just bombing and shooting and sniping people. But let's pretend like that makes sense. But we delivered it there, right? You mean, at a place, by the way, that what they just said are where Hamas is, is holding up. So you're giving oxygen tanks to Hamas? Ah, it doesn't make sense. Either way, the point was it was all a lie. And that's why it doesn't make sense. Because it turns out that the Red Crescent already exposed that they, the week before, shot them, beat them up, tortured them, detained them, stole all their tanks, and then didn't do anything until later delivering what appear to be empty tanks in ways that aren't supposed to be delivered, but then actually didn't even, like even according to them, didn't actually even do what they said they did, which is a common tactic for this. But of course, the point was, he goes, Jews are poisoning the wells kind of blood libel, which, oh, I forgot to grab that actually. Include both of these. And the point I did when I covered this the first time, going to the same conversation is where he, first of all, they're lying about the tanks. And so people call that out and he goes, this makes my blood boil. It's like the Jews are poisoning the wells libel. Right, because that's not a libel. It's a provable story that even Heretz broke down. Place the materials in the wells, just like the Zionism conversation we just had. This is a 19, this is Zionism, guys. 1948 documents from the Israeli army. That's their documents for biological warfare, where it says, researchers have located official documentation of the Kastai bread operation, which is about poison in Arab villages, in their wells. It's a true story that Haaretz made sure we understand. And here's Gideon Levy pointing it out, coming all the way into the day. We even destroy their water wells or pour cement in them. Or there's examples of settlers dumping rotting carcasses of animals in the Palestinian wells. It's all provable information. And yet he uses that to go, how dare you? That's because it's like this fake story. Same point. He must know that Haaretz has covered this. He must know that some people know that that's a real story. And yet he does it anyway. On a story on top of that, that's also a lie. Screaming desperation. Red Crescent said, you're lying. They broke it all down. But let's talk about the other ones. I, I, I actually found this that I was talking about. Remember this one? I was showing you this at the same time about the older woman who they pretended they were helping. And they, I think it was even Elon Levy that shared it out and said, see, you'll never see this. IDF members treating this woman who need help. And at the time, what you could see was her hands were brutally messed up by like what was bound on her hands. Well, here is the information where she, she's later speaking out. Look at her wrists. I don't think I have the actual video. Let me see if this is the one. No. Okay, so I'll just play this down here. It's subtitles anyway, I think. But so the point is that she's speaking. She was tortured. She was arrested. Her hands were bound and brutally tortured and, and held you know, in subhuman conditions. And the point was that they then brought her out and set her down and go, here's what you, here's some stuff you need. It didn't help her at all. Same thing we're continuing to see. Palestinian elderly woman with her wrinkled hands bearing signs of being shackled by her arrest by the Israeli army feels the pain from Israeli forces beating and shackling her contrary to their claims of medical help. Just it, It's just, it's continual. It makes me sick. And this is the one, by the way, which, by the way, was actually under this that I had, and it was deleted and censored by Twitter. 
Of course, because that's what's happening. They're censoring truthful information right now. But I found another one, which was the same story we covered. And I proved this at the time, like a lot of us did. This is one of the ones they put out. They put this image out, the Eli Davids of the world. And they said, and again, I actually think it was both of them. They, they all seem to share the same things saying, here's the, here's the Gaza you won't see. The IDF helping this old man, except they then immediately shot him after the vil- filming was over. And this was proven by, Israel, by media on the ground. It's disgusting. And what they're not, not only murdering these people, but using them to make other people think they're helping them. Think about the kind of maniacal mindset that takes. And here's another one we've shown you before. Same, this is the same time frame as this one, where they pretended they were helping this woman. Here's the IDF giving her water, and then they killed her. And that's what happened. Over and over and over. Now, let's talk about the Nasir Hospital, because it's the same game that's going on, where they're pretending they're trying to help, because that's where they claim they were delivering those canisters to, right? That's what they pretended this was going to. They lied. They were bombing that building. They were sniping. They just killed a small girl right out front of that hospital. And let's not forget, the first grouping of these people we saw, when they were like, here's the ones we're interrogating. Three out of, I think it was, the vast majority of what they then said has now proven to be false. The rape allegations, multiple things they said, beheading babies and children, that's what they got them to say. So it's, it needs to be very clear, even to those that might be on the fence, that what they're doing is coercing testimony, which, by the way, is a public statement made by the UN, by human rights groups. Actually, let me see if I can grab that one. Yep, perfect, right here. Just this one's enough. Israeli court says Shin Bet pressured man to give false testimony. It's everywhere. It's like all the rest of these open secrets that nobody talks about, like stealing of Palestinian organs or the human shields used by Israel called the neighbor procedure. It's an open secret. We all know about it, and every human rights group has written about it. UN's talked about it 45 times over the last 20 years, and yet it comes up again, and we're like, well, we're not sure. We do it. Yeah, we know. We all know. It's a game to pretend like it's not there. So here... My point in first bringing that up was that there's already provable examples of people doing things just like this in the same clothing, sitting there shaking, where they say, yes, I did all the things you want me to say, and then it turned out to provably not have happened. So we already have examples of them coercing testimony that we know didn't happen. So my point is, and I actually don't need to play it, it's just the subtitles. The point is, IDF shares this. Watch as Hamas operative admits to Israeli hostages being held by Hamas in Nasir Hospital on the 15th, okay? So the 15th, they're claiming that they have intelligence based on their coerced testimony that this that th- there are hostages in the hospital, right? Now, here it is on the 15th, later in the day. Israeli, arm, Israeli army raids South Gaza Hospital searching for bodies and hostages, right? So this is after they already bombing it. They pretend, like, here's what's funny to me, first of all. So you're telling me that you come and deliver these things Right? You deliver a bunch of tanks to a hospital that you later tell us you have to go into because Hamas. I've said that before, but how ridiculous. In every other context, you're going, we're not even going to let aid in because Hamas might use it. But here's 20 tanks to a hospital that we're telling you has Hamas in it? They obviously didn't do it, and that's the obvious point, but it's just so embarrassing. Like, how do they not think that through? So, first of all, they say we're going in. Then as they seem to do on all these Israeli platforms without any notification or update. They just change the article. <laughs> so still February 15th with no notification that the entire article's changed. Israel goes on to say, no evidence so far 
that Hamas held hostages in Nasir Hospital. Oops. So the crazy thing was, before you went in, you said there's credible intel. The reality, like Scott Ritter points out, is that even that is not enough. International law demands for a civilian hospital or any civilian infrastructure, it has to be provable that this is the case. Just like Al-Shifa, their entire operation proved that they didn't really know. So they were at best guessing. So even if they got it right, the point was it was still a crime when they acted without knowing. Here is another example. As they're saying, well, no evidence so far. Well, wait a minute. I thought you knew. I thought you said for sure. And they murdered people. They destroyed the building, which is ultimately what happened. And by the way, this is so frustrating. I saw a, an image of this article. This is Haaretz Hebrew edition. And I searched for this. And you can't find it. Like literally anywhere. And it, so what I had to do was translate the title into Hebrew with the translator and then search for that. And luckily enough, I found it. But what's interesting is how much, like there's a game being played right now with where these things get posted, in my opinion. But this says Hagari. So this is the lead manipulator. So far, no evidence has been found of abductees being in the Nasir hospital. So it's the same post, but just very more specific. And this is the post they shared here. And as she says, they're not even trying at this point. Because realize that statement proves they committed the crime. She says, because nobody's holding them accountable. I agree. Mohammed Shihada just points out that they're admitting there was no evidence of hostages there. But this comes after they bombed the area, besieged the area, forcibly evacuated the area, stormed the hospital, the biggest one in southern Gaza, put it out of service, claiming that they knew there were bodies inside. We're not even through it all. This is the 15th. This is where it's right in the beginning. And they're already exposing they didn't even know what they were doing. Let's, so here's the ridiculous part. So the same hospital. So before this, they bring hot oxygen tanks, they claim. It was a lie, but they still pretended like it happened. Then they go, well, we're not sure. We're not sure of any evidence. We can't find it, but we still think there's bad guys there. Then on the 16th, the next day, Kogat, which is just one of these pro-Israel manipulating, they're pretending to be pro-Palestinian, but this is about a... Uh, coordinating and facilitating humanitarian aid, which is ridiculous. This, All of these groups are blindly, or, you know, at, at best failing at their job. And I don't think their job is even what they pretend it is. But they're saying, well, Kogat supplied today Nasir's hospital with a replacement generator. As far as I could tell, none of this is even true. But they're simply going, all these things, food and water and fuel, look what we just did. On the, on the 16th, after telling us that you thought there was evidence of bodies in there. So I guess that didn't work out. But let me realize this is the same Kogat that weeks ago said, quote, there is no hunger in Gaza. There were stockpiles of food in Gaza. Don't forget, this is an Arab Gazan population whose DNA is to hoard, certainly when it comes to food. Yeah, clearly a pro-Palestinian platform. This is a Zionist organization. My point is, if there's no hunger, then why are you promoting giving food for people that need food? It's, it's so ridiculous. Either way, the 16th. Okay, so let's go forward still. Oh, well, I forgot the same... Aviva Klampus manipulator says Israel is supplying Gaza with medical equipment and food and fuel really ruins that whole genocide accusation. No, it doesn't. I don't think it's either demonstrating your ignorance on the topic of genocide or just gaslighting for genocide. The point is that all you need are the murdering of Gazans and the intent demonstrated to argue that they gave them a little bit of food and water on one side does not mean that it doesn't suddenly the genocide accusation again, just screaming desperation. Oh, and by the way, here's what she said just before this. So here she is going, see, they're giving them everything they need. But here she is going, Israeli protesters are standing on the road near the crossing to the bl blocking aid trucks. 
She's our protester explained. It's insane. They're, they're helping Hamas with stall and tortures and starving hostages. Well, where do you think the food goes? Like, where do you think, how do you think those hostages feed themselves? I just, it's just plate. I don't know. Maybe they're just that dumb. I don't know. But either way, the point is, so over here, you're promoting giving them food, but over here, you're promoting blocking that food. <laughs> Either schizophrenic or you're lying on one of them. Here is the 16th at night. Explain this for me. So here they are raiding the hospital, right? The hospital where you just told us that you couldn't find any bodies. The hospital where you just gave oxygen tanks and food and water and, and that, all the stuff. I don't, but again, I don't think it actually happened. Your narrative is that you did all that. But then that night you raid it. Why? Because Hamas, I guess. So were you giving Hamas a generator? Were you giving Hamas food and water and gas tanks? It just doesn't make sense is the point that I'm making. Anybody honest can see that. But here is the hospital that's been completely destroyed. You know, the one last working hospital in the area, the biggest in the area. Completely destroyed. That's going to be why it's all necessary. Okay, so you did this after the fact. That's the whole point. And here again, this is the 18th. Ministry of Health says Israeli military kidnapped 70 medical workers at Nasir Hospital. So we're well past the day of the 16th where you were bringing all sorts of goods. So this either means that you were bringing goods into a building that you did not secure, which I find hard to believe, or you did that to try to make a political propaganda point to say, see, here we are helping, and then just use that same hospital to raid and pretend you were stopping Hamas, even though those two things directly contradict each other. And the reality is, based on what everybody else is saying and the people on the ground and the UN and ever, that they simply kidnapped the medical workers of the hospital, which, by the way, they've done every single time so far. And most of them turn out to be like they later come out and say, yeah, we were arrested. Here's what they did. And yet they still pretend all of them were terrorists. We caught. And then most of them are back in the hospital the next day. It doesn't make any sense. Other than trying to manipulate the perception of what's going on. 70 people. About here's what uh, CNN even. About 70 healthcare workers arrested in Israel, in Israeli raid on this year hospital. Gaza's health ministry. Again, this is, you know, so it's recent. So just think about the timing of delivering all that stuff when this is what they're doing after that. You just can't reconcile those two things. Somebody recently gave me an excellent point that I was, again, rectify works in that sense, but you're right. Rectify is the point that was really trying to work. The word I was trying to say in the past, either way, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense. And the point that says here is they've put these, the, whole complex out of service, which means that they're now these people that are all dying and starving and have legs cut off. Now they have literally nothing, but it's all about defending yourself, right? It says uh, the comments back up a certain claim from the WHO, which said the teams were not permitted to enter. Like they just won't let them in to see because it's obvious what they're doing. Ministry spokesperson claimed about 70 health workers were arrested. 80 patients Transferred out of the hospital to some unknown location who God only knows what happened to them. Only 25 staff remain and they're unable to maintain the whole building or any of it. No electricity, no oxygen, you know, even though basically that they just pretended they delivered 20 oxygen tanks, they don't, it's, it's, it's all a lie. No water, no oxygen. CNN cannot independently verify ca uh, casualty figures. Now, the next point, this is just how it goes, right? So, their narrative breaks down if you just barely poke at it. So they arrested all the medical workers, even though CNN even made clear that they're medical workers and ultimately try to make it look like we got a bunch of bad guys. But 
Even CNN points out that they weren't. But guess what they did now? Here comes Hen Mazig, the most ridiculously named person fighting for Israel propaganda, breaking today. Hamas terrorists that were at Nasir Hospital were disguised as medical staff. And that's just it. Just a sentence. No source material. It's just, okay. Breaking news. The one thing that makes that other narrative make sense. <laughs> How ridiculous. And of course, rightly so, Ara Quell points out this meme that's simply showing the, what is it, the, is that the, what group is that? That's not the uh, Pawn Wars. Is it Pawn Star guys? Either way, basically saying, you can't just bomb hospitals. This guy says, hospitals are Hamas. Next, then he goes back and says, well, at least the food and medical supplies let it, let those in. UNRWA is Hamas. The journalists are going to show this to the world, right? Journalists are Hamas. And he goes, you can't call everything Hamas. He goes, you're Hamas. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's literally what's happening. It's so embarrassing. And then finally, <clears throat> another report, even by CNN, which is, again, not to mean that CNN's being honest or that we should blindly listen to CNN. CNN shouldn't even have to say that. But then ultimately, it's because I think these are indications of clearly how much Israel's lost control of the narrative that even these corporate platforms are going, geez, we have to at least point this out or we're never going to be able to influence anybody with our lies again. <clears throat> but it says, <clears throat> hospital reports more Palestinians killed, including children, in strikes on central Gaza City. Right, so this is afterwards. So we're talking about more and more children, more bombings in these areas. And it's, a, it's, the, it's the hospital reporting this. Alaska, it's just this nonstop barraging of these hospitals. Or these, I thought this was supposed to be one of the safe controlled areas now. You know, it just shows you that in every narrative they're spinning, by their day-to-day actions, prove to you that this is complete. All this is about is murdering anybody that's in front of them. Ethnic cleansing. And I mean, I don't even know how they think. Anyway, I, you could assume all day long. But everything they're presenting to you contradicts something they've said before. On that point, this is very interesting. You know, Aviva here, Klompos in the same manipulative stance, puts this out on the 15th of this month. Heartbreaking news from Israel. Kibbutz Nur Oz has shared that this guy's name is Yar Yaakov, who you've heard his name before, by the way, more than once, who was abducted on the 7th, so we're told, was murdered by Hamas the day of his kidnapping. So her point is, this was just, come. this is breaking news. We just got this news. Turns out he's not kidnapped. He was killed on the day he was taken, but they took his body with them, which by the way, there is no indication that even makes sense. The reality of this is obviously about hostage exchanges and every other piece of data we've gotten both from people that were there that have come back, as well as people that have said what they saw. There was all about, ta- and there's even an evidence on Israel's own propaganda movie where Hamas was asking whether they're military or not because the point was taking hostages to be exchanged for their people. And that seems to hold up to this very day other than Israeli propaganda. The point, though, is why they would, if the argument is that he was taken, they're saying that, no, they took it, they're still holding his dead body. Now, does that make sense to anybody? It's certainly possible. Or he got killed by one of their bombings, and they're pretending they're just holding his body. Or he got killed by the IDF, and they've never, and they never took him in the first place, and the narrative got all mixed up, and they're just using this to kind of explain that. The point is, let me show you why I say that. Again, this is February 15th. Here's a post from... October 31st, right? So what she's saying is on the 15th of February, breaking news, we just got, he actually died on the 7th, right? Here's October 31st saying Marivtal, who's released from Gaza, but partner Yer Yaakov, same guy, murdered October 7th. Okay, well, that's pretty weird. If it seems how 
October 31st. Well, then it's not breaking news if this was already discussed. But check this out. I don't even know how to explain this. I think what it's indicative of is that this there's so much propaganda manipulation that these things, I mean, everything is being manipulated, altered to the point to where it's exposing things. This says she was released November 28th, the wife. The death of her partner, Yair, Yair Yakov, that's the same person, was announced on February 25th, 2024? Okay, that's next week. How do you make sense of that? Even if it was a typo, it wouldn't have been February. Right? Even if it was October, that would be before this was even posted. So I don't even know how you try to make sense of this. This is very clearly pretty suspicious. My point would be simply, and I'll show you the next one too, that this has already been discussed. So I don't know why this clear arm of this propaganda effort decided to speak up on the 15th and say, oh, no, he was actually killed. We just found out. And this article was written on the 31st, which says he was murdered, points to the 25th of 2024. I mean, what am I missing? That's very weird. And I think it's just crazy manipulation taking place. Oh, this was just to highlight what I would have said. And then my point here is that this is the way back machine for this article that was originally published on the 19th of October, which doesn't show him the names of those killed in Hamas attacks. Now, from October 19th all the way until February 15th, he wasn't on there. But then the next day, February 16th, he was added, which, by the way, was the same day that she spoke up and said, hey, we just found out. But explain for me how an article from October 31st says he was killed on the 7th, and it, re- it argues that it was on February 25th, which is next week. And that the day she said that, they added him to this post, even though it says, you know, I've, all the same thing were said. It just doesn't, something about that is very strange to me. I really believe this is one of the most extreme propaganda, like not, you know, wag the dog in the sense that everything's fake, but really in the sense of leaning into that in every other possible way. Everything, especially on the propaganda from the media. Now, again, just to argue, and I'm, since we're already long today, very long, probably going to go four hours today, I'm, I'm not going to play this, but I'll include this clip from un, from Dan Cohen, Uncaptured News, just to understand, as we're talking about these people, the ones that they're using for the agenda, claiming that this is why we do this and X, Y, and Z, these people were killed by their own government in many cases, as you can listen to. And, and this is the major point about this. This is not even debatable. When you've got colonels in their military on the record saying it was a mass Hannibal, when you've got helicopter pilots saying they shot civilians, tank drivers saying they were ordered to shoot civilians, hostages that never went to Gaza who were there, who said they watched people get shot by the IDF, people who have come back from Gaza saying they watched the other hostages get killed by IDF bombings, or shot, or poisoned, or, I mean, it just never ends. This is the most obvious example of this I've ever seen. Now, on that same point about why they don't care, seemingly, about their own people, it's important to realize that they're lying about this to this very day. Here's a person saying, Hamas rejects proposal to release inmate. Really? Like, you have to realize how embarrassing this is, Like, because the reality is the full exchange that Israel refuses and then offers back a deal that nobody but Israel wants, which is a limited pause and some people exchange, no matter how big the number, it's not the entire number. They've got over 10,000 people of Palestinians. And if they release 1,500, they're going to sweep them all back up. And it seems like they're already doing that right now, just like they did before. They were doing it before it started. They swept up like hundreds of people. 
So my point is, the only group resisting any of this is Israel for the, the only thing that matters for anybody. Israel knows that by anything different, they're never going to agree to it. And even then, it's already happened the, the one time. And I think it might still happen to some degree. I shouldn't say never. But no matter how this goes, other than full ceasefire and full exchange, is a temporary stop, a minor exchange or part exchange, and then it goes right back to the same thing. Why does that make sense to anybody? They're not going to get what they need. It's only going to cause the same problem. So what the world is calling for, regardless of what political agendas you think are more important, is a pause because or ceasefire because everybody is being hurt by this, the civilians on all sides of this. And that's even what the Israeli families who actually want their families back are calling for, and Israel's not listening to them. My point here is that everyone's arguing this who wants to say that Israel's the one fighting for them. Israel is offering them more than 10 Palestinians serving time in Israel for each hostage, and they still said no because they would just arrest them again, which is provably what they did. Now, remember, the last time they paused, they had arrested more people than they were even supposed to release before they started, and then after they released them, most of them got rearrested. This was proven on the ground. So, again, that's an illusion, period. And to be clear, even on the 7th, Reuters made it very clear, Netanyahu rejects the proposal. The real proposal, the one being mediated by Egypt and Qatar, not Israel's kind of faux response that nobody agrees to. They're, they're highlighting the small side part instead of the real conversation because they're dishonest or they don't know any better. But Netanyahu rejects the proposal and insists on a total victory. And by the way, he's made it clear that there will be no ceasefire until Hamas is gone. He said that more than once. But here's Elon Levy, being a little lucky that he is. Hamas is holding hostages in civilian buildings and possibly their bodies in hospitals and graveyards. That's the Nasir argument, trying to pretend like what they did in that hospital is justified. It's not. And the graveyards, because they're stealing bodies and taking their organs, which is a provable conversation that even doctors at Al-Shifa called them out for. But it says it is making, it is trying to make it impossible for Israel to recover the hostages. I mean, I can't believe you can even say that. While they have offered an entire exchange since the first week. Reuters makes that clear, BBC, Associated Press, pretty much most everybody these days. And I simply said, you mean aside from Hamas repeatedly offering a full exchange of those very hostages that Israel repeatedly refuses? So aside from handing them over entirely, sure, they're trying to make it impossible. Do you ever get tired of embarrassing shamelessly <laughs> yourself? I guess they said that backwards. In any case, the point is that it's fun. It's a perverse inversion, the exact opposite of what's actually happening. And here is an example of families who are outraged. Oh, actually, I had this backwards. Solomon Ahmed, look at this huge number of protesters in Tel Aviv. Basically, there's a huge momentum to get Netanyahu removed. And, and force the deal, the deal that they pretend that nobody wants, that they all want because they want their families and the people back. And they just don't care. So the only people fighting for this ongoing genocide are the extremist Zionist government and their political supporters around the world. All their peoples and even the Israeli people, by and large, seem to want this to stop at least until their families come home. And that's my point about why they offer, they refuse, and offer a part of it. And even that is not what the families want. <laughs> they don't want a part deal. I just don't think most of these people even realize that a full offer has been made over and over and over. And this is Khaleesi pointing out that Netanyahu is threatening to prosecute literally anybody who incites against him. 
An arrest campaign targeting demonstrators is underway in Israel right now because he's aware that stuff like this just looks really bad for his manipulation of the, of the narrative. This is the Haaretz article she's referencing. Blocked roads, clashes with police. This is from the 17th. It's yesterday. Thousands rally against Netanyahu's government across Israel. You're not going to hear this in the corporate media because it challenges the whole narrative that everybody supports except racists. Now, Hen Mazig, of course, comes in and says something very revealing. I don't think he expected it to be this way, but I'll show you again why they didn't really think this through. Again, first of all, it's recognized this is one of the leaders that has been funded and controlled and influenced by Israel until this very day. Most of which are sitting comfortably in Qatar, right? Which Israel protects that does not let be a part of this, even lets them be a part of the mediation, Qatar. It just doesn't make any sense at the core value of this. And we can prove, as I will again in a second, that they have been arming and funding this group for a long time. Now, but my point on top of that we'll get to again is that it's changed over the years. I'll play a great clip from Scott Ritter that makes, makes an argument for why. But either way, he writes, Hamas leader said today that Hamas, quote, will not accept anything less than a complete secession of aggression, withdrawal of the occupation army from Gaza, and the lifting of the siege. Okay, let's think about that for a second. Secession of aggression, well, that's a ceasefire. That's what everybody else is asking. Everybody. Even Israel offers a a momentary ceasefire. So what he's saying is a complete secession, which again, my point would be that after the agreement's done, you Israel could go right back to doing what it wants and nobody would even bat an eye. So that's, this isn't a lie to make you think that we can't give them a ceasefire, they'll make them win. Obviously not. But it says, then says withdrawal of the occupation. Well, the reality being that if you have a ceasefire, well, that would arguably be part of what happens, not maybe entirely from all of Gaza, but the argument being that you would hold them back and you could bring them right back in. But that is part of one of these agreements. Same, the same one being mediated by Qatar. But it says on top of that, end of the siege. Well, let's realize that the siege is one of the core points for all of the world. The siege is about starving all of the Palestinian people. And even Israel's arguing, if we do a pause, well, we'll let aid in, which they never really do. But my point is how embarrassing it is that he's framing this as bad because Hamas guy said it, even though it is like near identical to what everybody else is talking about, even Israel. But Israel doesn't really want that is the point. But he says, for anyone applauding Hamas's hardline stance, like, so all they're really trying to frame this as is it's hardline to have any kind of agreement with them because all it's really about is maintaining this at all costs. And remember in the beginning, when I, when we just talked about even having a discussion, they were like, we don't deal with terrorists. Well, how'd that work out? Except here and there and there and overall and funding them over here. But the point is that you clearly are continuing to mediate these talks. So they were hoping that would carry. That we would not talk with terrorists, but clearly the world was like, you're ridiculous. You got to cause some kind of an agreement. Israel didn't want that, but they had to bend in some way. A hardline stance? Seriously. As someone standing up for Gazans, he goes, I implore you to remember, these conditions are exactly what exist in October 6th. It's such a ridiculous lie. Now, acting like there's some kind of a secession of aggression, a withdrawal of the occupation, just because you argue there's no settlements there, the military is, I mean, it's, as I've played for you many, many different times, it is obviously still occupied per the United Nations. And as uh, Francesca Albanese points out, it's it's complete unity, the near lockstep in the international community because it's the blatant, provable reality. It is occupied. And if you really want to understand the true stance of the original UN conversation, all of it is occupied because it's all Palestine. 
So it's just this manipulation upon manipulation in the conversation about what's still happening there. But he says now with thousands of Israeli civilians murdered and raped by Hamas, I'm going to do another focus on that in the near future because it still continues to surface. And even though it's been, it's gotten even more embarrassingly shown to be like the fact that they're just lying, like really bad, like finding new people to step up and say, I heard from someone that we saw this happen. It's, it's getting really, it's still not a single person has actually stepped up and said anything. But Israel cannot return to the status quo, let alone possibly agree to Hamas's conditions for releasing convicted terrorists. Aha. So you'll never do that. Even though they're not convicted terrorists, you're lying about that because the even the UN and even Israel's admitted that the vast majority of them are, are what's it, what's the term again? Administrative detentions. They do not have a charge. Many of them have been there for years. The UN has been screaming about this for a long time. Mr. Hen Mazig knows that. He doesn't care. Because that's what they do. They're trying to frame it in a way that's positive for Zionist agenda. Who cares about the facts? They're not convicted terrorists. Just like we said with the first time. The vast majority of them were a bunch of children that had no charges, throwing stones or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But what he's really clearly saying is that whether or not they're terrorists, we're not going to let them, we're not, we're not going to make a deal to release them. Well, okay then. So you're the one choosing to never agree with any part of it because that is central to everyone's argument, even Israel's. So let's talk about the same thing from October 6th, right? So his argument is that all of this was what was already happening, and it was only Hamas's hatred of Jews that made them rise up and just act in violence for no reason. Really? Okay, well, let's talk about the fact that on October 6th, it was discussed that in 2023, was it was already the, quote, deadliest year for Palestinian children, according to Oxfam, or UNICEF, I forget which one. The United Nations. Here's the report for one of them. And this goes forward to into it from December 28th, simply saying the number of children killed in the West Bank, not Gaza, including East Jerusalem, reaches unprecedented levels. But realize my point is this goes back before this started. That it was already the most deadly year for children on record. Before October 7th, let's pretend like somehow it was this magical, peaceful land before Hamas rose up on the 7th, like they're playing on people's ignorance, which they're, they're going to lose because I don't think people are that stupid. But let's realize as well that the West Bank is, it, the whole thing is about focusing on Gaza, right? And even during the pause, they will, they continued to attack people in the West Bank. Act, acting like this was some kind of, the only thing we paused was about over, no, you're, the whole thing is about a war on Palestine. And they continue to show this by their actions in the West Bank, which are getting incredibly, I mean, it's, I don't know why this isn't being more talked about. The amount of people that have been killed in the West Bank, the children, the detentions, it's overwhelming. And they're not even pretending it's even part of West Bank. But here it is showing you them bringing in occupation forces, bringing in military bulldozers into the West Bank. Like I said before, guys. They're building a highway to connect these because they're going to displace people from the West Bank. Mark my words. It's part of this. And they're already continuing because it didn't stop built bulldozing Palestinian homes and building more illegal settlements, all of which are blatantly illegal, one by one, house by house. And here is that exact point. This person says October 7th. Yeah, this has been going on long before that, October 6th and before. And as he says, let's talk about military occupation, all the violence that it entails. Talk about settlements and Zionism and the terror and theft that entails. It's been going on for 75 years. Watch the disregard for Palestinian life 
the blithe response he has to caring about Palestinian rights. This is a man championing the settlements in these illegal, these illegal settlements in these areas. We take house after house. Uh, all this area uh, will be a Jewish neighborhood. We are not finished the job. We are, we are going to the next neighborhood, and after that we will go more. Our uh, dream that uh, all East Jerusalem uh, will be like uh, West Jerusalem, Jewish capital of Israel. I see this as a continuation of the Zionist project. Exactly. At the, they ask, at the Arabs' expense? They say yes. Uh, this, these are important statements, right? So saying, but our government institutions were also built at the expense of Arabs who live here. And so was the state itself. Yeah, just proudly admitting the, the complete colonial settler or settler colonialism which is a violation of the law. ...stalled in the house. We went to the office in West Jerusalem of the man leading attempts to settle Jews in Sheikh Jarrah. Make, making a real estate argument between the Arabs in Sheikh Jarrah to make it now an international uh, fuss, it's something that is... Uh, but it, for it's that, not it's, a real estate argument, is it? It's, it's, pure. A, it's an argument that goes to the very core... We talked about this video that emerged in which a Palestinian in Sheikh Jarrah challenges a settler. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No. That guy became a meme, right? We've all seen that. Literally, it's a, he's a famous meme at this point. If you don't steal, oh, I don't steal it, somebody else is going to steal it. And if you make that point, people think you call you racist. It's real, guys. It's real. And that's the hilarious part of this conversation, that it, only in this conversation, it's this unique situation where provable, real concepts, even when you show it to somebody, are still called racist. That's a blood libel. You're a conspiracy theorist. It's like literally happening right in front of you. This guy openly says, if I don't, somebody else will take it, so I got to take it. My God. Some of your own settlers. And, and the point, that, that was the context. The important thing is that's what he says. Watch the way this guy responds to this. Like, it's almost like immediate hatred of the person even posing the question, because how dare you even suggest that Palestinian lives matter as much as us? You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No. One of your own settlers saying, if I don't steal it, someone else will. Acknowledging For the stupid, you've had, stupid, you've had, you've you, had, you want me Nobody to, said it. He but said, it's not stupid. So what? You want me to, right. to, you want me to bring UN. you, you want you've me had to, the UN, you've had the UN saying, he called it stupid in case you missed that. What's happening could amount to a war crime. What? What could mine a war crime? What? Expelling these people from their homes. Tell me. Could amount to a war crime so, under international so law. So the not? UN that we know, how much it's pro. Okay, who cares about what the UN is saying? So you don't care that it could of be. Of course not. A war I care crime. about one thing God. God. So this is either a person that's lying about that, in my opinion, or is, is convinced that that's the reality. Either way, think about how alarming that is. So nothing matters. Who cares about law? You know, anything. I go. So this is the mindset of thinking that this is so this is the same as people believing that like Trump was sent by God. So it doesn't matter. 
Because the ultimate thing is, is whatever you do is right because God sent it. God made that happen. You're literally impossible. You can't violate the law because God is bigger than you. That's the mindset. So that means that, that this is the kind of thing that drives genocide and the guys that, well, God wants this to happen, therefore it's the right thing. You can't fight something like that. And that is religious extremism. That's what we're dealing with. I know what I'm praying for three times at least every day. And I know what the Muslims are reading in the Quran. And I know what you are the Christian reading in your Old Testament. And it's written one thing. Jerusalem is the land of Israel, the land of the Jewish people. Right. And you know what's funny about this manipulation as well is just because the word Israel, which, by the way, is very simple to think about, that the Zionists who wanted to utilize Judaism simply plucked that name out so it would be seen as the historical concept. Not hard to wreck your mind around, but the idea being that because it's called Israel, therefore we know that this, it's the same point. That this is about a manipulation of the history. That's why people believe it. But here's another example of, you know, what happened before October 7th. We talk about the 7th of October. I think it's important to talk about the 6th of October. Uh, you know, on the 6th of October, a charity called Defense of Children International Palestine uh, announced that it had been the deadliest year so far uh, for children in the West Bank. Uh, over 42, I believe, at that point had been killed. Uh, of course, it is way more now. Uh, that same day, settlers rioted in the town of Hawara, uh, shooting a 19-year-old, killing him in the chest. While his funeral was going on, uh, an Israeli minister went to Hawara and said we needed to cl close down the Palestinian shops in the town and build a highway around it for settlers. Uh, that same day, the Washington Post reported that um, Israel was cutting off uh, the supply of donkeys uh, to Gaza. And donkeys were important because fuel... They must be Hamas donkeys, right? Only way that makes sense. Fuel was in insufficient supply and donkeys had become one of the main methods of moving supplies around. Um, so I think... Again, October 7th, as I've said, was an atrocity, uh, was a lot of atrocity. October 6th was an atrocity, too. And I think the really important thing we need to do is to not only say there can never be another October 7th, but also there can never be another October 6th. I mean, it's just such an obvious point. But that's going to be taken as racism. How dare you? Only our thing matters, right? I mean, it's just so embarrassing that it's one-sided, very clearly. And even people that are, are like harder on their sleeve, we care about every human life, all of it matters, we want all of it to stop, you're a racist because you, you don't only care about the one. So we saw that right in the beginning over the top. Here's another example of, well, here's what I think I'm going to do actually, guys, since we're basically at four hours and I, there's a quite a bit more I wanted to get to that I, wanna, I don't want to rush through. So what I'm going to do here, first of all, this was about an old video. We've already discussed this, by the way. This, this is in regard to, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but the minister was shot, assassinated, because he was predominant, it was pro-two-state pro solution. Netanyahu did not want that, so he basically had a huge rally where he showed him the guy dressed like a Nazi, and he got assassinated. And this is his wife saying, well, it's, it's Netanyahu's fault this happened. And that was seen as effectively shutting down the two-state solution, right? Because it's very clear, and that's where I was going to go into the reality about the two-state solution. As Just so it's clear, first of all, this is Minister Cohen saying, we would prefer not to reach a peace agreement if it would lead to the establishment of a Palestinian state, which is just like, yep, that's what we've always been telling you. That's always been the reality, but they're now blatantly acknowledging that we don't want the... So what that ultimately admits, two, two things. You backwardly just admitted that what Hamas is fighting for is a two-state solution, which acknowledges their right to armed resistance for their... I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So, but the point ultimately is that you don't want them to have what you've always promised they could have, 
And so that's why you're going to stop the peace agreement. You know, it's just so, this is my point about lying about everything. It's just so, it's so disjointed. So you, the peace agreement is because the hostages are the two-state solution and other arguments, that's what you want. And it's only because of Hamas that you won't do that. But now it's because of that. that it's, I don't know. You guys see what I point. It's just this is circular logic that just one answers the other. and None of it makes sense. But the point ultimately here was about Hamas. And this is one of their new representatives speaking up and saying, we no, we, no, not, no solution makes sense right now because we're in the war. Well, the war was about people fighting to have that solution. But it's just this ongoing manipulation that maintains this. And I simply said, well, then discuss now why the Israeli government leading up to the 7th was arming and funding Hamas. <laughs> Explain how that makes sense if the whole point was we can't just let Hamas continue to exist. They'll never get into it. And you guys have seen this many times, the reality that this is what they were funding, what they were doing. The Mossad chief was sent by Netanyahu to Qatar to negotiate to make sure the aid continued to Hamas. And Avigdor Lieberman called him basically a terrorist supporter. Nobody cared. Now, I think I'm going to get into this probably. Maybe tomorrow we'll see. But this is I just I want to go through this in more depth. But this is Israel ultimately telling you that we will not allow a two-state solution unless we have complete control over what happens, which we already know. And maybe I'll end with this and come back to the rest of it, this Scott Ritter clip. Well, I was going to show you, which I will coming up, just this disgusting reality of what they're doing. They're playing on Channel 14, these videos of them basically. Oh, and this one I was going to show you before. Look at this guy's mask on his face. Tell me that's not, look at that. <laughs> Guys, I mean, that's, it, that's torture. I don't care how small it is. You're doing that intentionally to discomfort this person. And remember, they sat like this, for, as one of them said, for, for weeks. Or at least, I think he said multiple days in a row. I think he said weeks. I have to remember to look back at the tweet. Either way, what they're doing is saying, these people are all Hamas. But he asks him, and he goes, what are you? Don't lie. And he goes, I just work at a, at a furniture shop. I swear, that's all I do. I think he said furniture. Yeah, furniture. And he asked him again. He's like, no, I swear, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Hamas. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, we all know. They're all Hamas. If we ask them enough, they'll tell us they're Hamas. He literally admits that they're coercing them while torturing them to get them to say what you want. Whether he thinks like that or not, that's what you're talking about. And every time this continues to happen. There's a, this new weapon they're, they're highlighting. I mean, they're basically just shooting this person for no reason with a sniper from the top of their car. And then they just go over there and, and then talk about it. It's, it's crazy. But you can see them testing their new weapon. They're sitting in the car, lining it up on this guy just standing there. And they snipe him in the leg. It's just so amazing and horrifying how real this stuff is. Horrible stuff that you're probably you're going to be glad that we didn't get into today. But here is Israel's heritage minister saying that he thinks that anyone waving a Palestinian flag, quote, shouldn't continue living on the face of the earth. That's what he actually said. Here's the link to the Times of Israel article. Totally not a genocide, right? I mean, and then the hatred towards anybody, even waving a Palestinian flag. Here's what some IDF members left in one of the homes of these Gaza members, or these, uh, yeah, the Palestinians. It says, we will haunt you for the rest of your lives with a smiley face. Now, this was posted by Cuds News Network. Sure, you could argue, like in other cases, it was a, you know, a fake hate crime, if you will. But I think based on all the evidence we have, it's very clear that they're doing this. That Whether that's, you know, that they are, you know, playing with the lingerie or in many cases, as we'll show you probably tomorrow as they're starving to death, as children are literally provably starving in the streets 
right now. As, as Mohammed Safa points out, an eight-year-old girl died of starvation that day. He's covering it. An elderly person died in Jablia. A child in, in multiple people dying. Provably of starvation. It's a key about how horrifying that is. How painful that is. And yet here they are literally posting videos with music of them eating in Gaza. Having, having buffets and, and huge, uh, you know, feasts. And they're posting this as a joke to make fun of people that they're starving to death. I just don't know how you make sense of that. Egypt is provably telling you that they're stopping the aid. They're continuing to lie about this, bombing the location they're trying to cross from right up until today or until recently. They're saying Israel's impeding the delivery of aid. They're lying about that. Let's see. Maybe I'll end with this and I'll save this for the next conversation because talking about Scott Ritter's point is going to make me want to get into that. But really, just this was about <clears throat> the, re- the reality. Well, you know what? I will play this because the image is what I use this for, ultimately. Let's play this real quick. So here is Scott Ritter. And I will get into this in depth probably in the next show, but this is what he's talking about in regard to the Hamas point, right? So my point in showing you Hamas and the funding is that they keep pointing at Hamas like it's the one-stop shop excuse for everything they're doing. But if we know that Israel was funding them, and this is where it gets into what I think changed over the years, because they were trying and funding, but money isn't everything. And people over the years who grew up in this area that watched their families get demolished while being called a terrorist grew up and wanted to fight back. And a lot of them ended up in Hamas, which then fundamentally changed the dynamic. And they were no longer willing to take money to lie about what's going on, uh, hypothetically. And that's why I think the leadership is sitting comfortably in offices in Qatar, because that's the effective control over the illusion of what they're controlling, when in reality, after a while, Hamas suddenly started being something different. That's just hypothetical. But I think you can see how that works. And then ultimately, they're desperately trying to hide what really it has become while provably funding anything it can to make it look like it's something else. Now, these are just, you could decide for yourself what this means, but let's end with this clip of Scott Ritter pointing out that the reason this has changed is because these people have grown up. This is the third generation in refugee camps because they've never been given the right to return to their homes. And what that creates is a situation where people are willing to fight for every, to, for, to, for, to death for their rights. Of Hamas, Shinwar, I think his last name is, um, he wrote a book, and I think the title was Children of the Camps. He's telling you the psychology of the Palestinians in Gaza. We here in America or in Europe have no clue what it means to be the third generation born in a refugee camp. The children of the camps today only know the camps. That's all they know. They don't know anything else. They don't get to travel overseas. They don't get to go on vacations, you know, to other nations. The psychology of these people is completely different than anything anybody who wasn't born in the camp can understand. And so if people think that you could pressure these people, that you could bomb them into submission, that you could, you can't because they were born in the damn camp and they're going to die in the camp. And they knew that. And their only hope for salvation is a free Palestinian state. And Hamas is saying, this is the way to do it. 
resistance. Because if you don't resist, everybody sells you out. And that's the reality. And the people of the camp know this because they've lived it. They're not waiting for Egypt to do the right thing because Egypt has never done the right thing. They're not waiting for Jordan to do the right thing because Jordan has never done the right thing. Nobody has ever done the right thing for them. Not the Palestinian Liberation Army, not the Palestinian Authority. <coughs> Nobody except Hamas. Hamas is the only organization that ever said, we're willing to stand up for you. We're willing to fight for you. We're willing to die for you. Why can Hamas do that? Because they're children of the camp. They're the same people. Hamas is the people of Gaza. There's no difference between the two of them. What the point is, the psychology is the same because they were born in the camp and they know that their fate is to die in the camp. Hamas knows exactly what they're doing. Why? Children of the camp, baby. And you know, children of the camp, you know what, what did they do? They brought Israel into the camp. Hmm. Now, I disagree to some degree on like overall the point is I think accurate, but let's realize that just because that what he's demonstrating there is I think what we were discussing the transition of what it has become, but let's realize that didn't stop Israel from attempting and funding. And so we have to realize as I think it was, uh, what was it? Vanessa Bealey? I forget the argument simply being that there are still elements of it that are arguably might still be influenced or controlled by outside forces. What he's arguing simply is that this has, because over the years and three generations, this group has become, you know, people have joined it. It has changed fundamentally. Right. And so that and ultimately what he's arguing is that these people know something have lived a life that we can't even fathom. Just generationally being occupied, living under apartheid, rape, murder, and theft at any moment. Destabilization, displaced, pulled out of your home in the middle of the night because they just want to keep them on their toes. Been discussed openly. And I think that just, it, it really does demonstrate just a fundamental difference in the way these people view the world. And that's why this is not, you know, they're, they'll bomb and assassinate and kill and, and ultimately will fight for you to see it just in hopes that maybe people will stand up for them for the first time, as far as I can tell. I just think that's very interesting. Oh, and then I'll, this was the image that I shared today. Or was it right here? Hold on. Right there. It's just a very powerful image, right? Now, of course, it's people can misinterpret this. This is not to suggest that everybody in Gaza is a terrorist, right? What it is looking, what you're looking at is the reality of a destroyed world behind this child who is going to live in that camp, who has nowhere else to look for, for any kind of any kind of resolution. Any kind of solution, any kind of anything outside of just tacitly accepting or rather just passively accepting what is being done to you. The only action you could take is to join a group that is going to push back. And what it becomes is one of the few that's in front of them. And, and then they manufacture this illusion that, that, that that's what they are. You have driven this into reality by 75 years of brutal occupation and murder and theft and rape and displacement and everything that continues to happen to these people over and over right now, day to day, moment to moment, every second. What do you think they're going to do? And quite frankly, the reality is that we should be supporting their efforts to stand up and push back because what they're doing is protected under international law. And the only group that is legally violating these the law, who's violating international law, is the Israeli government and what they're continuing to do. 
As I've said before, even the action on October 7th was legally protected under international law per the Fourth Geneva Convention. Not the actions against civilians, not the kidnapping of civilians, not anything else that happened outside the engagement with military conflict conduct or asset military aspects, gosh darn it, of Israel. Anything outside of that was was a crime. But you cannot argue that it was a it was a terrorist act because it was an armed resistance acting with under the Fortune Eva Convention for armed resistance, which is you know protected under international law. It, it's provable. And I just get so frustrated that people like this are framed as something other than they are. And all these people are doing is fighting to be seen for their lives to change, for you and anybody else watching to stand up and have the courage to be honest about this. You don't have to endorse everything that they've done while being pressured for 75 years to the most extreme situations, but you can at very least understand why they might have taken these actions. It's time to stop lying to ourselves. That child does not deserve what's happening to him. And it completely rationalizes, explains why they will step into a life of armed resistance. So thank you for tuning in. I think that the more we continue to highlight this stuff, the more we're watching this change. I feel it every day. And we can't do this without you and your support. So thank you for being here and a part of the T-Lab family. You are the last American vagabond. You're the reason we exist. So thank you for that support. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. At all that there was about 20 million, 20 million Muslims who protested and demonstrated against ISIS and were making clear that ISIS has nothing to do with genuine Islam. We created that. And again, I say that's not an accident. The creation of ISIS is not an accident. We know that Al-Qaeda is the CIA database. That was not an accident. These are the Frankensteins that Western intelligence agencies and Mossad create in order to justify our policies in the region, which are basically to destroy that entire region, to balkanize okay. that region so that ultimately Israel can expand. You know, and, and American, the American government is bought and paid for by Israel. And it couldn't be more obvious. Netanyahu's three visits to the U.S. Congress where these sycophants, traitors in the U.S. Congress, sit there and give him 29 standing ovations, tell 29 standing ovations tells you everything about who owns the U.S. Congress, which is nothing but a den of traitors.